VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, good morning. It's Tim Powers in for Patty Daly. Patty's off today, having a well-deserved break. I am with you just for today and so looking forward to it. Boy, oh boy, what a day yesterday in St. John's. What a day today in Stephenville. Uh, the eyes of the country and the world on Newfoundland and Labrador over the last couple of days. And shouldn't it be that way every day? I certainly think so. Uh, let's talk about yesterday. Uh, I wasn't able to be in town uh, to see it all, but I certainly was watching it all, listening to it all here on VOCM, Ben's reports, Brian's reports, seeing all the Twitter feed uh, of it all. Did Newfoundland, did St. John's, did the province turn out in spades for Alex Newhook and his family? And the weather cooperated. Uh, just looking at the pictures of um, Alex with his uh, his former or uh, future Avalon Celtics, uh, current Avalon Celtics players, uh, the young ones there all around him, the crowds on George Street, that stage, the backdrop, uh, the parade route, just absolutely incredible. And I have to tell you just listening to the clip Ben played a few moments ago of hearing Alex credit his family his mom and dad his sister his friends I mean that speaks so well to the good of hockey and last time I was on of course we're talking about the struggles in the sport particularly with Hockey Canada but when you see Alex Newhook you hear him talk you look at all the people who came into town for him I think he said over a hundred family friends of his and former teammates from leagues he's played in I mean, that just speaks to the good, the power of good in sport, the power of unification that is in sport, uh, and the power of supporting a, a young, able, capable man who clearly recognizes and hasn't forgotten how he got where he got. I think if I've seen one picture, I've seen 10 uh, in the last day or so of Alex with his family, Sean and Paula, his parents, his sister, Abby. He clearly, clearly, as he stated, recognizes how important they are to him, his grandmother Anne, his grandfather Eric, um, all very pe people very close to, uh, to his heart. I, and I have to tell you, s watching this from away and sitting here looking at it from Ottawa, it just reminds me, not that I need to, but it's nice to be reminded how blessed we are in Newfoundland and Labrador, how fortunate we are that we all support each other in the way that we do and that family is there with us and friends are there when we need them to be. It's not always the same everywhere else. We come from a very special place. This is more personal for me today. Uh, my mom hasn't been super well. She's she's doing okay now. It's not life-threatening, but she's had a tough few weeks. And my sister and I ha are here in Ottawa. I haven't been able to get there yet. I'm getting to, to St. John's tonight to see my mom, um, and I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm doing that. I'm glad to be able to do that. It's important to do that. Um, but I got to say, my sister and I are so blessed, and my mother is so blessed, to have the network of friends and support that she has. It makes it easier, not just on us, because that would sound selfish, but her to have so many people by her 
her side uh, and to be there to help her. Yes, she's been a wonderful woman, is a wonderful woman, good to the community, kind and all of that. Um, but the people who have stepped up for her in the in the last few days is, is she's had some some struggles. And again, I, people who are friends of hers who are listening, I want to tell you she's okay. Uh, but it's not been the easiest of, of days. Uh, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts and seeing what went on with Alex, experiencing this, my sister Jane and I, the support that we've gotten reminds me of how wonderful Newfoundland and Labrador is, how look, we may get into it in political debates, we may fight tooth and nail on issues that are important to us, but when it comes down to it, the people of Newfoundland and Labrador stand up for each other and are there for each other, no questions asked. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. One sad note, um, when I was hosting a few times over the summer, I, I got to talk to Brandon Tucker's mom, Brandon Tucker's uncle. I was very sad to see um, that uh, the remains of Brandon had been found and that he'd passed away. Uh, to the Tucker family, I'm just so sorry for your loss. It was so obvious in our conversations, the deep love you had for Brandon, the help you were trying to get Brandon, the support you were looking to give Brandon. I'm sorry that the outcome has been what it was, that we've lost clearly a wonderful human being. And I hope time um, does allow you some heal and healing and some retrospective. And uh, I hope you find meaning because I'm sure there was much meaning in his life on the planet. Anyway, very sorry to, to hear about the death of, of Brandon Tucker. And I want to thank the people I talked to who told the story of Brandon and the RCMP, the community volunteers, all the people who helped look for Brandon Tucker and tried to uh, bring him home to his family. My thoughts are with you, uh, Tucker family. The other big news, of course, uh, in the province today is the visit of the German Chancellor and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to Stephenville later today. As I said yesterday when we were doing the Ottawa report, I can't think of a time, and I stand to be corrected, Dr. John Fitzgerald, Stephen Tomlin, others who know more of the history of, of Newfoundland and Labrador than I do, um, I can't think of another time when a leader, a German leader, has set foot in the province. That in of itself is hugely significant. Look, we've talked a lot on this program. You've heard it in the news today. Germany is really trying to lessen its burden uh, on Russia, uh, it's it, the relationship it has with Russia for providing natural energy sources. So for the German chancellor, uh, the leader of all these major, the leaders of all these major German corporations, Bayer and Siemens and others, to go to Stephenville, uh, Trudeau to bring his cabinet, the premier's going out there, we're hopefully going to talk to the premier later on this morning, Goody Hutchings as well. This is a big deal has the potential to be, be a big deal like so many things in government the optics of it are huge at the moment so as linda swain has reported on vocm today uh, there's going to be a deal signed around the provision of hydrogen to germany we'll get more details later on what that is um, as you have seen and i don't want to rain on the parade yet but i do want to inject reality the show will be great today the reality I hope is as great, but we have seen at many levels this summer the challenge governments have had, particularly our own government, at 
delivering on projects as simple as passports and visas and, and the running of airlines. Um, there's some different news reporting out there about how difficult it may be to get this project, uh, this hydrogen project, the wind farms that are required to support it up and going by 2024. Uh, let's hope um, that uh, th those deadlines are met and the like. But Today's the day to recognize this is a huge opportunity. Delivery has to come. We know the challenges of delivery with Muskrat Falls. But uh, still, don't want to take away from the significance of what is happening and the opportunity and optimism. Just always want to remember, and I'm guilty of this too, we as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, God, we get the... The, the living poop kicked out of us often. The stuffing of, uh, of us knocked all over the place. But we jump right back on and believe that we can hit it big and make it big. And it's that, uh, that unfailing desire and passion and fearlessness, uh, sometimes recklessness, to move forward that sees this happening uh, in Stephenville today. And, and good on us. Good on us for doing that. But also remember, sometimes Sometimes when we've charged forward mightily with great heads of steam, we have, haven't always had success. But today, let's hear about what the potential success could be. Let's see where it goes. Let's see what it's all about. Um, you heard, though, there are people, you heard Tara Manuel talk to Jerry Lynn earlier, who have concerns about uh, what's happening in the Port-of-Port -Port Peninsula, have concerns about the environmental challenges and degradation that may come as a consequence of the project. If you share a view like that or any view, but particularly people have contrary views. I don't want this to be all day the glorification of what's happening in Stephenville. If people have different views, give us a call. Let, let's hear it out because Lord knows we need to talk through these things and figure them out. There's some big public policy issues and items that are about to happen today in our own province that could change the face of our economy and change the face of the environment. One other thing I'd point out, because I'm sure it's irritated some of the people who are proposing to develop LNG, liquefied natural gas, uh, off Newfoundland uh, and uh, on the island, and uh, others in New Brunswick are looking to do the same. So yesterday... The prime minister was asked about LNG. And again, remember, LNG and hydrogen are separate and they're different and different production processes to bring them on stream. Anyway, yesterday uh, in Toronto or uh, Montreal, I believe it was, the prime minister was asked about the possibility of Canada doing something on a more immediate basis of lessening um, Germany's dependency on Russian fuel sources. And he was asked if LNG was an option, particularly from the East Coast. And he, uh, according to the Global Mail headline this morning, Trudeau cast doubt on the idea of shipping natural gas from the East Coast to Germany. What he effectively said, and you can read this for yourself in the Globe and Mail, uh, he pointed out that um, East Coast LNG isn't at an advanced stage. There's still hurdles to be done. He, he argued, and this cost him a lot of uh, uh, consternation on, on social media last night, that the business case hasn't been made in certain jurisdictions of the country for this in, in Eastern Canada. He said there's LNG in Alberta, but getting it across is not the way to go. Uh, but he did say, to be fair to him, uh, that if he 
uh, saw the business case that his government would work to try and lessen the regulatory burden or ease the regulatory process so that it could be provided. The head of the Canadian Gas Association was uh, was critical of the Prime Minister. He said this, his name is Timothy Egan, he said, is there a business case? There's an incredible business case if the reg- regulatory framework is clear. Our environmental approved process is going to be fast enough and clear enough posed this question. How can this happen so quickly in the United States and it can't happen as quickly in Canada? We'll hear all about that today as well. Um, there are people in Newfoundland and Labrador who are looking to develop LNG who have long argued that LNG is, is the route to take, particularly when supplying uh, fuel and energy to to Europe. We will, uh, we will hear how the Prime Minister responds to this in Newfoundland and Labrador. Big day paying attention. We'll talk to Jerry Lynn later. Other big item, uh, Premier, our Premier didn't uh, get to attend this yesterday because he was in Newfoundland and Labrador for the Stanley Cup Parade. I'm preparing for the visit of the German uh, Chancellor. But in New Brunswick, the Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford, the New Brunswick Premier uh, Blaine Higgs, Nova Scotia Premier uh, Tim Houston, and Denny King, the PI Premier, all met. And guess what? Stated the obvious. Uh, two things. They need more cash from the federal government and more encouraging i find this more encouraging people will find this more scary that we the the status quo just isn't good enough and they're acknowledging when they say that as well that that doesn't just mean more money they talked about private service delivery and how that may work now i will tell you in the case of premier ford here in ontario he's been very careful to say that the health card the ohip card is is as it is known here would still be the primary vehicle through which people get health care that you wouldn't be hauling out your your credit card he's also uh was earlier this week and we're only at tuesday so it was monday or friday may have been friday last week he said um we're going to try and get some of the current private service delivery providers to open up surgical and other spaces to get the wait time down and we'll pay for it uh here in um here in ontario look I said this before on this program. If you don't think there's private service delivery now, you're not aware what's happening in the system. Any of you go to a drugstore to get your COVID vaccination? Well, that's a form of private service delivery. Uh, Pat Pat White was on with, with Ben earlier. Pat's Evis Airways provides medical transportation, air ambulance services in the province. That's private service delivery of a public service. Paramedicine, ambulance. Many of you come from, you come into St. John's who have to travel by ambulance, travel by owner-operated ambulances contracted to health authorities. It's private service delivery. Are we going to deal with this or not? You want to talk about that today? You can. And of course, I know, masks. So... If you're going to Mun this summer, summer, sorry, fall, uh, I'm still trapped in summer, the last days of it. If you're going to Mun, you got to wear a mask. If you're going to school, you don't need to wear a mask. How are you feeling about that as school approaches? Anyway, so much to talk about today. Looking forward to the next two hours and 45 minutes. Time for our first break here on VOCM's Open Line. Then back with more of your calls. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm going to go right to the lines. Line one, the mayor of New West Valley, Mike Tillard. Uh, Mike, how are you this morning? 
Not too bad, Mr. Power. How are you? I'm okay. You want to talk about health care and, uh, and, the, and, and the funding announcement? I don't know which. Do you mean the funding announcement in uh, Stephenville or another funding announcement? Anyway, you, you go for it, Mike. Okay, uh, Mr. Power. On Friday, we were uh, given uh, the good news that our town has been awarded a $6.9 million okay. uh, water storage uh, co- contract as part of uh, phase one of our uh, water treatment plant. Uh, first, we had to upgrade our water storage to uh, enable us to provide good flow and pressure to the whole area that we service. And once we get that in place, then we're going to apply for phase two, which is the actual water treatment plant. So I want to okay. give a, a hats off to all the people who work hard, our office staff, our outside workers, uh, our minister, Derek Bragg, of course, uh, the central uh, engineer, Will Maloney, he's, he's been instrumental in, in helping us with this project also. So. I hats off to all them. I'll start off with some good news this morning, uh, Mr. Powell. <laughs> it's good to start off with good news. Good news, good news Mayor Tiller. So I'll segue into uh, the health. The bad now? <laughs> the bad, yeah. Uh, and and uh, diversion in uh, the new West Valley Bonimus and region has been a word, unfortunately, that we've been used to. Uh, since August, we've been on uh, diversion for 14 days. We are currently on a five-day stretch, and as of yesterday, I was informed by the acting senior medical officer that we will be on diversion. If nothing changes, we will be on diversion until September the 7th. And as you can, if you start adding up the days, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Power, that is a long stretch not to have emergency services in our region. And I will say region because we do serve a big area. It's not just a New West Valley issue. It's, it's a regional issue. Uh, and diversion, just to be clear, means that they will divert uh, patients to another place. Is that specifically what they mean when they say diversion? It is, yeah, Tim, it is. We divert our patients from uh, Dr. Y.K. John Medical Health Center to uh, James Payton and Gander. And as I stated before, that could be an extra hour and a half to uh, from our area to for 45 minutes if you're in a different catchment mm-hmm. area. So it, it does add to a lot of stress. We, have, we did have a rally you know, to bring some light to the issue. I, I uh, did speak to Minister Osborne yesterday. He, uh, he, he's been very good to us in that he returns our calls. He, he, he assures us that they're doing whatever they can. There's no stone being on turn. And in the short term, uh, Tim, I guess that's all we can hope for. I mean, this is more or less information uh, for the people in our region that, Okay. You know, this is what's happening. The people need to know what's happening, and it's our job as municipal leaders to, to give them that information. Um, what? I hate to ask this question, but that's what I get paid to do is ask questions. I mean, what what are beyond September 7th? Um, do you see this as being a recurring problem? Is it can you have realistic expectations that you'll have closer, more consistent emergency services? Or as many people are starting to argue and you know the arguments that we need and it's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador that we have to look at service delivery. What are you expecting and what do you want? Well, what I want is a stable, I mean, we, we're an hour and a half from our nearest uh, nearest facility that can do emergency care. And I don't care where you live to in the country, an hour and a half away from a hospital is mm-hmm. unacceptable. So in the long term, I want a reliable, whether it's it's, it's a combination of virtual and in-person. Uh, ideally, we'd like to have our, our fine top of doctors that we can have our regular clinics and we can have our regular services because 
it's open to say that you know we have to do things differently when there aren't the outlying area an hour and a half away cannot serve the full region without burning out their own staff. And I see it, and everybody sees it. Who needs to go in there for for services? The wait times to get seen are doubled and tripled, and the staff can't keep up with the extra patients. So. Uh, long term, this is what I'd like to see. Short term, uh, Tim, uh, you cannot create people overnight. No. So uh, I'm, I'm putting the rest of the mayors in the region on notice that come early fall, I'll be requesting a meeting with us all because, again, this is a regional issue. And we need to collaborate as a region to so that when we finally get doctors, we have a plan in place, a strategy in place that will make the doctors want to stay in our region. Because getting a doctor and, and most of the doctors you get, then seems like. They, they come here to get their two years experience and they leave. And, and that's yeah. great for, for a short term again, but we need sustainable, long-term health care like, like, like anybody else. I mean, if you're 20 minutes or a half hour away from a yeah. uh, medical facility, then, you know, it's different. But when you're an hour and a half, and that's ideal times, uh, Tim, we have the fall season and winter season coming up. Our, our, uh, our public works transportation go off the road at 9 or 9.30. So if you need an ambulance at 2 o'clock in the morning and there's five or 10 centimeters of snow on the ground, that hour and a half trip is quickly going to turn into two and a half hours, and and that's not acceptable anywhere in the country. I mean, we have yeah. for healthcare, and I know that there's no short-term answers. Like again, you can't make people overnight. We have to do a better job of, of recruiting and training these healthcare professionals, whether it's ACP or respiratory therapy, to be able to provide virtual care, or ideally uh, doctors or, or or get nurse practitioners up to par. But we need in-person healthcare, or at least virtual, to get you stabilized, so that if you have a long transport, then you have the proper people with the proper scope of practice to keep you stable to get to the bigger facility. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling us, giving your perspective today. It's just a nightmare all across the it country. It is a nightmare, Tim. I was on a, a national panel uh, about a month ago on CBC National, and, and I was there representing uh, our coast, and mm-hmm. there was a nurse from Ontario, and there was an emergency doctor from B.C., and every one of them from coast to coast were all having the same issue. So the people, the higher-ups, the feds, or somebody has got to realize that this is not something that can be fixed overnight, but if you don't start fixing it now, it's never going to be fixed. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll leave it on this and just get your quick comment on it because it's going to take one more call, Mike. And, and it is I, – I, I'm starting to feel people are prepared to make some change, even in their own areas, if it can help the whole system and everybody has a better chance of getting the services uh, – or getting services that they need. Are you getting a sense of a little change? I mean, not everybody's saying my service can't go. It can't be like this. People are recognizing everybody's got to do a little bit of giving and taking. Well, giving a little bit and taking means that we have to combine in-person and virtual. Yep. Then I would consider that giving and taking because if you have an ACP or a respiratory therapist in the building that can, can work with a virtual doctor that can provide you the life-saving care to prepare you for the line transport, but in, 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 to me that would be the only give and take because, again, okay. when you're an hour and a half away, the golden hour for any trauma is, is how we stated, the golden hour. Yeah, that's that, it. Can be life and death. It can be can be life and death. Totally, totally agree. All right, gotta leave it there, Mayor Tillard. Good to talk to you this morning. Thank you, Mr. Power, for taking my call. Okay, that was New West Valley Mayor Mike Tillard. Now we're going to go to line two. Uh, the executive director of the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities, Nancy Reed. Nancy, how are you this morning? 
I'm great, Tim. It's great to be here. Thanks for letting me on again. Um, I would like to speak this morning about um, the Our Adaptive Technology Program. I've spoken about it uh, at least a couple of times on, on air and just want to let folks know that we're really at the very end of the application process for that. Uh, the application process um, it ends on this Friday. So if folks still want to make application, they can do so. And just a, as a, I guess, a a summary of what the adaptive technology program is is that if an individual requires adaptive technology and uh, that technology is some, not something that they can uh, get on their own if it's a financial barrier to, to accessing that um, at the coalition right now we have a quarter of a million dollars that's been given to the people of this province for us to deliver adaptive technology uh, by the North Pine Foundation and uh, with that money uh, people within this province will have access to technologies that they need those types of things can be everything from wheelchairs and walkers to uh, computers, you know, design or with particular uh, software that will enable them access to reading. Uh, Our hope is that it will help people access education, access employment, access things in their life that they want to do. For some people, it means literally being able to get outside of their home. Uh, For some people, it means being able to do things in their home that they can't do right now. And so if you're not sure is something that you need is adaptive technology or if it's eligible, just give us a call. Uh, we can certainly help you figure that out. And uh, and our eligibility requirements are not typically those that you find in most of the programs. This has nothing to do with other programs that you may have seen. Um, if you're an eligible, you're eligible if you're a resident of the province, okay. you identify as a person with a disability, you don't have private insurance or other funds that will cover this device. Um, we would like to know that you're not eligible for other government programs, and if you're not sure of that, we'll help you determine that. And uh, and basically that this is a need, uh, whether it's a need that you currently have or it's an emerging need, and we'll help you figure out all the details, but it's something we really hope that the people of the province will make application to. We've got an opportunity now to remove barriers that we've never never had before. You spoke a few minutes ago about the opportunities for good news, and yeah. this is a good news story, and we really want people to take it advantage of it and i i can tell you nancy i i've seen um the use of walkers for example mm-hmm. with uh elderly people who still want to move but are a little more cautious and sure. they they have uh, age-based disabilities if i could describe yeah. it that way sure. and sure. it makes such a difference that you know the yeah. happiness of being out in the fresh air just sure. for a few minutes and, f- and not feeling like you're going to fall and so sure. it, that's great what your program is doing it's it, 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 so how do, how can we the public help other than spreading the word well, nice, nice segue. Thanks, Tim. Um, um, we're actually hoping, and I don't know that it's general public, but we certainly want uh, other agencies, other groups, other you know philanthropies to really see the need of people in this province. And maybe there are others that want to come to the table in this way. Uh, the North Pine Foundation, as I said, has been great. They gave us a quarter of a million dollars to make this happen, and you know we expect we're going to use that to date. We've already received almost eighty applications, and like I said, I'm really hoping that, you know, we're going to get some more by the end of the week. Um, so we, we really want to get that news story out. And we know that there are different types of technology that are needed that we can't cover under the Adaptive Technology Program. We can't do home modification. We can't do vehicle, uh, you know, adaptation and that type of thing. But there's certainly a number of things that we can do. I'd like to give out the contact information if I could. Sure, go ahead. If people, if people have questions, uh, there's two numbers. The local number, 709 
597-8596. We also have a toll-free number, so that's 1-800-846-9420. And uh, we have a staff person who's dedicated to this program fully, and she can be reached at 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 codnl.ca. So it's at at codnl.ca. Uh, I really hope that people will be able to, to respond to this program. I, I hope you're right, and I appreciate your call. Uh, can, I, can I say one other thing? Yeah, you're, you're, no, look, you're cutting into my revenue generating here. Right. Go ahead, Nancy. you got 30 Thanks. seconds teasing you. Thanks so much. Just want to send a bouquet to another advocate in our community. I've heard about lately uh, Glenn Royal, who uh, is a mental health and basic income advocate in our community. He was recently awarded something, and he's the first Canadian to be awarded the National Alliance on Mental Health uh, Mental Illness Award uh, for his leadership and outreach on a global mental scale um and so we really want to congratulate him bring awareness to that there are so many people in our province who are doing great things that we don't always see but it's the work in the community it's the work of advocates that really make things happen and move government can't do it all we recognize that and it's the real work of so many individuals that make change so i want to send a bouquet to glenn royal today and uh and and congratulate folks who sometimes uh, slip under the radar of things but we know there's a lot of people doing some great stuff. You're absolutely right. All right, I'll leave it there, Nancy. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. All right, time for a break here on Open Line. More of your calls when we come back. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to Open Line. Okay, this this next segment is totally not set up, I, I, at least unless I'm being set up. And Greg Smith, the other Greg Smith in my life, has no idea why I'm saying this. Well, let's invite him on first. Greg Smith Curler, not Greg Smith Irish Newfoundland host. Greg, I mean, is it hard living in the shadow of the other Greg Smith? It is. I even get messages to play songs that uh, I can't really do from home. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks well, for having me on this morning, Tim. Now, now before you start, i got to tell you the link here, and I don't know if you know this. So, Greg Smith, the curler, who is talking to me now, is going to be playing in the Points Bet Invitational Challenge. Greg Smith, you may not know, but my company here in Ottawa works with Points Bet, and I heard all about how well you're doing soliciting votes yesterday, and the COO of Points Bet uh, is a former rugby teammate of mine. So people are going to think we set this up, Greg, but I can tell that we didn't. You probably had no idea. I did. But you make your pitch, buddy, as to how you got to win this. And I can tell you the Ontarians in Points Bet are staggered. How do these guys in Newfoundland always do this? How is Greg Smith getting so much support? Anyway, with that long preamble, roll with it. Thank you so much. And it, listen, it wasn't set up. I had no idea. Um, so currently our team is in a fan choice vote by Curling Canada for the last spot in the points that Curling Invitational, which is going to be in Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, mid-September. And it's like a March Madness-style curling event. So it's it's quite neat and it's never really been done in curling Mm -hmm. so we need some votes it's getting really close between us and some maritime counterparts so the way that you can vote for us uh is go to twitter uh my handle is greg smith nl our team one is team greg smith nl and you'll see our pinned tweet there 
and also Curling Canada. It is the pin tweet, which is the poll. And we're going to do another thing for you, too, if you vote. And it's one of my favorite things that we're going to give away, and that's Cod Bike. Uh, so Chess's is a great sponsor of our team, and they have been for a long time. And if you retweet and reply below uh, that you voted, then tomorrow we're going to see who won $100 Chess's gift card. That's a lot of cod bites. That's, that's so, a lot of cod bites for a lot of for a lot of curling stones. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a good trade off. Now, tell me just a little bit more because I think it's important. One of the reasons, and again, I'm not doing a corporate ad for points bet. I've disclosed I work with them already. Obviously, close friendship with the COO, as people just heard a moment ago. But Pointsbet and others are upping their investment in curling. Curling is getting lots of good exposure. You can earn a, an okay living, I think, doing all of this. How is sponsorship changing the exposure of the game for you, Greg, and making it a, an opportunity you can commit more time to? Totally. So none of us on our team yet uh, or maybe ever, but right now we, we don't make a living off of curling, but uh, some teams do. And certainly sponsorship means a lot, and our sponsors mean the world to us, and we wouldn't be able to get to travel the country without them. The benefit with this event, though, is this opens up a lot of opportunity for us and a lot of doors if we are to win this vote. Um, it is covered by TSN, uh, so they will be, they will be you know, uh, posting the games and hopefully we'll get a feature game this time and uh, also basically this is covered for us by points bet and curling canada so it's basically paid for us to go there uh, which is wonderful so then we don't really have to look to sponsors for that and we can still do the rest of the events that we had scheduled to do so this is a great opportunity for our team and really for newfoundland labrador curling there's a lot of great teams here and uh, we're really really grateful that uh, we're part of this and We'll be even more grateful if we uh, are so lucky to get to go. Inside track is you're on top. But let's not tell people that, as I just did. I mean, let's no, think Greg is in last place. Behind. Greg yeah. is in last place. He needs everybody <laughs> listening now and on the replay to vote for him so he can beat everybody else. Now, how do you vote? Tell them how you vote. Okay. So, uh, once again, go to uh, Curling Canada on Twitter or my personal Greg Smith and L or our team. Team Greg Smith NL. It'll be the pin tweet there, which will have the poll. Click on Team Greg Smith in the poll. And if you want to be in on the Chess's gift card, retweet it. And also below, say that you voted. Tell your friends. And if you don't have a Twitter, make one. It takes two minutes. And, you know, you have an opportunity to win Cod Bites. So to put an email into, you know, getting Cod Bites, not a bad deal. <laughs> now, very last question before I let you go. Um, the road to the Briar, what does that look like for you this year? I assume this is one of the first tournaments where you get the opportunity to play against uh, top-level teams. How how does that look for this year? Yeah, so we have a new team this year, um, and a very talented team at that. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite exciting. I mean, we have a lot of wonderful sponsors, so we get to travel a bit more this year. Uh, and going to more events on the mainland, like this one, getting to play on arena ice, getting to play against the top teams in the country and the world, really gives us the best opportunity to, you know, hopefully win the province. There's a lot of great talent here, too. It's, no, it's, it's not easy. So, you know, the more that we get to do on the mainland, the more events we get to go to, that really pays dividends. And uh, hopefully then, you know, we will be in London. That's really the goal that we have, to be at the Briar. And uh, the same with the rest of the local teams as well, I'm sure. 
Well, good luck to you. Win this online vote. Continue to mystify the Ontarians and the Americans who don't understand why Newfoundlanders turn out in droves to vote for their own. But uh, good sales pitch today. Hope to meet you in person one day, Greg. Take care. Thank you so much, Jim. You too. Bye. All right. All right. That was Greg Smith. You heard about the contest. You can win uh, uh, You can win some cod bites. You can uh, make sure that uh, they are the talk of the Poitsbeck Curling Canada Invitational when that happens in September in Fredericton. It's, uh, it's coming up soon, as I said. Full disclosure, I do some work for them, but did not set up that call, but found that highly entertaining. Anyway, we're going to take a slightly early break here now because I want to add a minute or two to our next guest after the break and i hope that will be premier andrew fury back with you after this call after this break welcome back to open line just a reminder before i talk to the premier you can get me on twitter at powers tim or uh via email open line at vocm.com i believe the premier is there are you there premier I believe I am, Tim. How are you this morning? Oh, well, well, I'm glad you've appeared. That's good. I am good. Listen, uh, busy day for you. We'll get to Stephenville in a moment. We'll get to healthcare in a moment. But I have to tell you this. Sources tell me, and I know you're shaking now. You have no idea which sources. Sources tell me <laughs> you're not a bad hockey player. They don't rate you as great, but you work hard, you try hard, and you play with a group of people you and I both know. Uh, so as a hockey player, I'm not a div- divulging who these people are. Um, but it's okay. I've, a- never hidden, I've never hidden my lack of skill, but what I lack in skill, I make up an effort on the ice. That that is that was confirmed to me by these aforementioned sources. So as a <laughs> hockey player, I saw you yesterday with your Avalanche jersey on. I mean, how wonderful was that yesterday? And how cool? Um, I mean, you must have been like a kid. I saw your face. You were pretty excited, like the kids there. How how was all of that yesterday with the Stanley Cup and Alex and it being brought around oh, the city? It's just spectacular! It's a great day for the province. It's a great day for for me. Even uh, you know, like you said, as a hockey player, now as a hockey dad uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to see a kid's dream be realized uh, you know it's, it's just it's, it was so special it was so special it was a great day it was a great day for Alex and his family uh, it was great for the province uh, you know I you know just to see even my son's face light up that mm-hmm. you know and it, it's more than just hoisting the cup Tim like this is this, you know the symbolism is, is significant and that this is people realizing their dreams and and that they're realizing their dreams coming from from Newfoundland and Labrador and you know anything is possible uh, as long as you believe in yourself and believe where you came from this is it was just a fantastic day it was it was really truly special yeah, it was, and as as I said, and you know, I mean, who ha- said, who hasn't dreamed of hoisting the cup? You know, I mean, it's just spectacular. It's as, as certainly just about every Canadian kids, be they male or, or females, uh, dream. Uh, That's dream right. These days, and maybe someday girls will be will be hosting it too. There's a big cheer there for Abby Newhook, which was great. Um, so there'll be some cheering in Stephenville today. So let's get to the the good news of what this is. I can't think of a time premier ever where a German chancellor has come to Newfoundland and Labrador. Have you ever known of a time when this has happened before? I haven't, actually. And in fact, you know, when I was thinking about this, I think the last time global sitting leaders, acting leaders, were in Newfoundland and Labrador was in 1941 for the Atlantic Charter. Um, So that's how significant today is. This is a historic day for Newfoundland and Labrador. 
And interestingly, in 1941, they were plotting against Germany. And it's interesting how, <laughs> how the world has changed, though, and how Germany has become such a significant partner for, for Canada and hopefully Newfoundland and Labrador. So do the, you know, what you can tell us about the announcement today. It's hydrogen. Uh, it's a deal that the, the, the Canada is going to sign with Germany. Uh, what is it going to mean in real terms for Newfoundland and Labrador? And when may we see the benefits? of it. Sure. So I think, you know, it's worth revisiting what hydrogen actually is uh, for Mm -hmm. people out there who this may be a new concept. Uh, Hydrogen acts as an alternate fuel source to gas or petroleum products. And the way it's produced is you take water and you use electricity to create hydrogen. And then the hydrogen is basically a fuel source that you insert into an automobile or other other uh, other engine that it would requ- normally require uh, gas. So it is a clean. It but it doesn't produce carbon dioxide, which you, of course we're all aware of in this mm-hmm. current um, environment and, and with uh, of course heightened recognition of climate change that uh, CO2 is is, is 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 the enemy really with respect to uh, increasing temperatures. Uh, so it is a clean fuel source, and Newfoundland and Labrador has exactly what is required uh, for this clean fuel source. We have clean, green energy, uh, whether that be in the wind or in hydroelectric capacity, uh, and that can be used then to produce hydrogen, green hydrogen, clean hydrogen. Um, so we have uh, we have everything that is required here, and I think we're the envy, not just of the rest of Canada, Tim, but in frank- frankly, the envy of the world. We have an abundance of wind, as we all know. That's like, I like to think it's one of the reasons I'm so short. We have a, a abundance of deep water ports, which is required, of course, to transport uh, this fuel source. We have a workforce, a labor force, who has just, uh, who, who of course are used to transitioning. We've transitioned uh, in the past, but are also used to working in a marine climate. And uh, you know, all of these things together, with the proximity to Europe and the proximity to the northeastern seaboard, make us perfectly positioned during this time of transition. I've been speaking about this for a while um, in terms of our balance of renewable and non-renewable energies and, of course, been speaking about wind as an important part of that. And we took the bold and courageous step of lifting the wind moratorium uh, earlier this year, recognizing that it would generate this kind of excitement. Mm -hmm. So not only will this provide uh, an alternate fuel source for Europe and potentially for the northeastern seaboard and and, the United States, this will create significant well-paying jobs uh, throughout our province, not just in Stephenville, uh, but throughout our province. We've been very fortunate to be approached by numerous, numerous proponents uh, with excitement and energy uh, in this space. Um, What I will call the the Muskrat Falls paranoia. Uh, Are there public public dollars, provincial public dollars going to be used in this project? No, not at no. all. No. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I can understand and appreciate the paranoia of uh, announcements of uh, potentials of uh, mega projects. Certainly, we've all lived that. Uh, there is no public investment in this. Uh, we will be working with proponents, obviously, along the, the process that was announced in late July. Uh, but there is no public uh, dollars in, invested in this. This is this is this is the fuel that will be required for the future of the world. Uh, so we don't think that we have to invest uh, public resources in it. We have public funds in it. We understand that we have the resource. It's uh, incumbent upon us as leaders to figure out how to unlock the value of that resource. Uh, whether it be in jobs or in royalties back to the province. 
Um, in, uh, earlier in our newscast, uh, our uh, reporter Jerry Lynn Mackey, host Jerry Lynn Mackey, was talking to, to Tara Manuel. Um, you may know of Tara. Uh, she's made some critical videos of, of, of you. Uh, but the broader point uh, that Tara was making is there are concerns people have about the wind turbines and this whole process. What do you say to, to people who do have concerns about the production and, and what this may do in terms of environmental degradation? Well, this will be going through an environmental all the, all any project will go through an environmental assessment process, a robust environmental assessment process. Uh, but the alternative of not having these alternate fuel sources is not one that the world can live with. I mean, the, some of the same critics are the ones who are screaming that we're in a climate emergency and we haven't done enough. We've got to move faster. Well, this is an alternative to petroleum products. It will be held to an environmental standard that we can all be proud of. But we have to recognize that we need to shift, and Newfoundland and Labrador is well positioned for that shift. The alternative is to continue to use petroleum products. So I'm not really sure what – I mean, I've, I've seen the criticism that uh, that we're not acting fast enough. The, the world recognizes that we're not ask, acting fast enough uh, collectively as, as global citizens. If we have what is required uh, to offer alternatives in terms of fuel sources here in Newfoundland and Labrador, then I think we should be uh, in, we should be advancing that and advancing it in a responsible but accelerated way. Uh, two last questions on this, then I want to ask one quick question on health care, though I appreciate there's no quick questions on health care, but we'll try. Uh, you saw the prime minister's comments yesterday in uh, Montreal in response to a reporter's question about LNG and yeah. LNG's potential to supply or lessen German to supply Germany and lessen their dependency on Russia. Prime Minister, it's fair to say, cast its shade on that. Uh, he mm -hmm. said, at least according to the Globe and Mail, the business case isn't there yet with some of the Atlantic projects. We have at least one that I know of in, in Newfoundland and Labrador that's trying to move itself forward. What's your response to the Prime Minister's comments and the LNG opportunity that may exist for Atlantic Canada and Newfoundland and Labrador in particular? Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to uh, fully read his comments, but as I understand it, at a very high level, he uh, he uh, said exactly. He threw some, as, as they're calling it, cold water on the LNG. But but he did uh, he did have a shout out to Atlantic Canada LNG projects uh, in particular that could potentially um, potentially help Europe during this uh, time of transition. LNG, I think, will be a transition fuel uh, to a more sustainable uh, non-carbon emitting fuel like like hydrogen. Uh, as we know, LNG is, is less carbon emitting, is more environmentally friendly, but is not uh, not net zero. So, uh, we uh, I think that that the prime minister uh, rephrased that uh, later in the day. Tim, uh, again, I haven't had the chance to f look at all the interviews, but I do understand that uh, you know after d further discussions, they eventually they they may have uh, suggested that there was opportunity in Atlantic Canada, and if there were regulatory hurdles that uh, they could alleviate, then they would be interested in looking at that. Um, Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, does have LNG opportunities, uh, and uh, the economics of all of these projects have changed significantly, Tim, as you're aware. Uh, whether it's hydrogen or L offshore LNG, uh, these 
projects were mused about in as early as the 90s, you know, and um, but the economics, uh, because of the climate emergency, because of the shifting geopolitical landscape in Europe, have changed significantly uh, to make the business case, the economics uh, more sustainable and that and therefore more attracting to private investors. And so, uh, you know, the prime minister and, and the chancellor made some comments, but, uh, you know, I think there's still opportunity here. Okay. Uh, last question on this very quickly. Uh, any issue with water rights being reassigned as a consequence of this deal? Again, appreciating the listeners probably know this, but uh, fresh water is governed under various international treaties and it cannot be easily exported. Uh, any concerns there? Uh, it's been raised to us, so I just wanted to raise it with you. No, there hasn't been any concerns raised uh, within our process uh, to date. Um, I mean, we are looking at um, the water supply here and from a different lens. Uh, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador, again, is very lucky. We have an abundance yep, of fresh water, which is required here. I mean, you look at some of the other hydrogen projects that are being done around the world in Saudi Arabia, for example, where they're using solar to create hydrogen. But not only do they have to use solar to create hydrogen, they need to desalinate the, the water supply there themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we're in a really uh, fortunate position here. But in terms of water to export, I haven't heard that raised as a concern in the regulatory process to date. Uh, and desalination, as you know, in Israel is quite a fascinating process. All right, last indeed, question. Indeed. I know you got, uh, you got to go. Your colleagues, uh, the the other three Atlantic premiers met with Premier Ford yesterday and, and Minister LeBlanc in Moncton. Uh, well, I don't think they met with Minister LeBlanc. They well, met sorry, three, Minister, the, Minister pre, the Premier, um, you're correct, Premier Ford met with Minister LeBlanc, then the four of those premiers met together. Uh, that's right. Um, question that will come on comments that have come out of that meeting. Uh, uh, similar to some you have said, uh, need for federal government to properly invest and sustainably invest. The comment that I found fascinating, and I hear more of you talking about it, more of you being the premiers, you know, we have to look at all options, and they spoke specifically about private service delivery options, and that already exists in every province that I'm aware of. Uh, any comment on the meeting and what you heard yesterday and how it impacts what you're trying to do at home? No, I mean, as I understand it, uh, it was a lot of the same discussions that were had at COF and we've had at uh, at the Atlantic Premier's uh, table, uh, wherein we recognize there is a significant problem with the delivery of healthcare. You've heard me talk about this many times, uh, Tim. We have a healthcare system that was designed for you know largely for the '60s and '70s, and it's evolved, but has not evolved to the point where we're at uh, 2022 levels. So we it, during this time of disruption from the pandemic, it's exposed. Uh, you know what we knew were gaps, but a just massive crevice in the in the system itself. So now is the time to reinvent and reimagine the healthcare system. I think. Uh, I think we've actually done a. You know, we've been out ahead of this compared to the other Atlantic provinces with respect to the health accord, with respect to uh, Dr. Parfrey's ideas and Sister Elizabeth's ideas and stakeholders' ideas in consultation. Uh, uh, some of the some of the other provinces are still at that process. Uh, so, look, we recognize that there, there are changes that need to occur. Uh, the, the delivery of services will uh, will and should, frankly, look differently than they, they have traditionally. And that's the evolution. That's progress. Uh, and, and I do think that the federal government needs to come to the table recognizing that this is a national issue. I, I, one of the comments I heard yesterday from Premier Ford was a Team Canada approach. It's one that all the uh, Canadian premiers have been uh, have been um, proposing for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you, I, 
if you could point to one jurisdiction where there was a problem, then you would say bad on bad on them. How can we help them? Mm-hmm. But every province, every jurisdiction, every community across our country is suffering from the health care crisis. This, re- this is why we have a national government. They need to come to the table. They need to discuss not just money. I'm not talking about just, just the fiscal capacity of the federal government. I'm talking about a reimagining of the federal system and how we can properly invest to ensure that we are delivering the services that are required in the communities that have changed since the inception of Medicare in Canada. Okay. We'll leave it there. Uh, busy day, important day for the province. Thanks for making a huge time. day. Appreciate yeah, no, it. no, and I just want to emphasize, Tim, how big a day this is for mm-hmm. for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. It was a big day yesterday with the Stanley Cup, and it's going to be a big day today uh, here in, in Stephenville. Thanks for taking the time. All right, good to talk to you. Take care. That's the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Andrew Fury. We ran a bit long, but a lot to go through. Time for our news here on VOCM, then back with more of your calls. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Well, welcome back. We're flying along this morning uh, from hydrogen and the power that it can provide to Newfoundland and Labrador and Germany to the power and force of political unification and change. Now going to talk to Tasha Carradin, who, look, if I read her bio, it would take me all goddamn day. So let me synthesize it very quickly. She's a two-time author. She's a public speaker. She's a journalist, television host. She's a political commentator. And if you get in trouble, she's also a lawyer. And she's with us this morning to talk about her new book, The Right Path. Uh, Tasha Kierden. Tasha, how are you? Um, great, Tim. After that, how else could I be? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Wait, you'll be better when we sell some books, Tasha. I mean, yeah, that is that what... <laughs> You remind me of when I was at uh, in school in London and John Crosby was selling his book. And my goodness, uh, you guys have to do a lot of work to sell your own books. And I'm happy to help that uh, along this morning. Also, because the other interesting thing you're doing now, you're co-chair of Jean Charest's leadership campaign and the conservative leadership races is coming to an end uh, on September 10th. But let's talk about the book first. As I say, it's your second one. It's called The Right Path, uh, and it's about how conservatives can unite, inspire, and take Canada forward. What what brought you to a place where you wanted to write this book, and, and, and what's the recipe? Well, uh, what brought me to the book was actually the three defeats the conservatives suffered. I started writing it after the last election in October 2021 um, because I felt that at this point, something had to give. Um, there had to be a, a different solution to what was on offer. And I started talking to uh, conservatives, um, you know, past, present, and future, asking them what they thought about why this had happened and offering my own thoughts. And then, of course, you know, um, events took over. Uh, the convoy came to Ottawa. Aaron O'Toole lost his job. We ended up in a leadership race. And um, I, you know, my publisher said, let's get the book out now, because <laughs> to your mm-hmm. point, we want to sell books. And it also, um, honestly, I felt that you know the book itself is, is and always was intended to be about how the party should take the country forward and how the party should lead the country not who should lead the party uh-huh. so that is you know it informs the narrative because obviously we have two currents populism and conservatism sort of warring within the, the bosom of the party and the movement in general and I do talk about those two um, and in terms of the path forward 
I clearly say you have to address populist concerns, but I don't want to take the populist path of the rhetoric and the other negative things that come with it. I think conservative principles can actually, when applied properly and when you understand what they are, deal with those issues. So that's the path that I recommend. And as you say, the contention in the, the leadership race is, uh, has focused on your book. Uh, you have the, the leadership a team of Pierre Polyev accusing you of using the leadership race as a vehicle to sell books. But ironically, it talks, looking at what your book says, that should be an expected approach that's, that's brought forward. How, how have you responded to that and, and your role in the leadership campaign? I mean, I don't know how you would separate them anyway. It is part of the, your thesis. Well, I separate them in the sense that, you know, in the book, I very clearly, uh, you know, see the candidates as as more like archetypes. I don't take personal Mm -hmm. swipes at them. I discuss what they do and what they say, um, including Pierre Polyev. And I, you know, I talk to hundreds of people, including my own stepson who supports Pierre Polyev. Um, You know, so I've had interesting conversations with people in all camps about why they feel the way they do and how to resolve this and how to, in the end, bring people together and move forward. Because the great danger, of course, and I addressed this in the last part of the book, which has been probably the most controversial, is that, um, you know, this has led in the past and could lead again to a split in the conservative party. And I say that would be a detrimental thing. Um, You know, people are very concerned about the direction, but we've seen this movie before with reform and, uh, and, you know, Socred in the past and on and on. It does not lead to power. So if you want to take government, you've got to get your act together. Um, So, yeah, in terms of the the campaign, like I said, that came later. Um, I actually thought of running for leader myself and explored Mm -hmm. that for a few weeks. So it's been it's been a fascinating journey, Tim, for the last six months. And like you said, we will it's coming to a close in September. um, And I think conservatives have a lot of of decisions to make and they're going to make them. One of the things I found fascinating, it's thing I uh, learned years ago, always read the forewords in the introduction. People sometimes blow by them, but I loved Lisa Wright's forward. And she made the yeah. point, and again, you're, you're making it too, about people of very different views finding accommodation within the same place. And for those who have not seen the book, Lisa says, look, I'm like me. She's an East Coast conservative, more progressive, grew up in Sydney, worked in Toronto, very progressive in terms of her views. And her best friend, though she doesn't name her, I will, is Candace Bergen, who came from a different experience and is pro-life and a Mennonite who comes from the West. And they've become blended. If they were in the U.S., she says they would not be in the same political family. Uh, I thought that was so instructive about what you're trying to tell. Yes, and it is. And it is a lesson. I I was very grateful to Lisa to write the foreword um, because she has that, you know, that that in in government experience with people of different views and how they were how they were kept together in the big tent. And so, yes, um, you know, what what I say in the book is that is that there are ways to address, and this is the important thing, you don't dismiss the concerns of people that lead to populism. You address them. And what are they? Those concerns essentially arise when people feel that they are blocked. They cannot get ahead despite doing all the right things, that the playing field is unfair. And there's lots of you know scholarly research I cite to back this up, um, but it is something that you have to recognize as a truth. People feel that they cannot get ahead for whatever reason, and the easy solution is, oh, we'll just remove the people at the top, the elite. Yeah gatekeepers toss them out they no. but the point is there's always going to be a gatekeeper somewhere there's always and and i say too you know in terms of elites i'm kind of sick and tired of, of beating up on them because <laughs> you know does anyone have their kid in a hockey team and not want them to go to the nhl yeah, do you not exactly. want your kid to get the the science fair prize it's like elitism 
is about excellence. That's what it should be. Anyway, when it's not, when it's about connections, when it's about favoritism and identity politics, I agree. That's where the rot sets in. That's where people get frustrated. And that's what leads to populism. So make the playing field fair, equality of opportunity, basic conservative principles, things like family, free enterprise, uh, freedom, yes, but balance with responsibility, community engagement, local government, all these things, I think, and opportunity is the overarching message, I, I say, can appeal to people and bring them together, like you said, into that fold. Well, and you you make the Stanley Cup references. You may have seen or may have heard. We had the Stanley Cup in St. John's yesterday. The only the third <laughs> Newfoundlander to win it, and Great, brought. Uh, I heard that's so fun. <laughs> and thousands of people came out to cheer him on, and he thanked his family and all the people that helped make him get to the, helped him get to the place where he is. Two last questions for you, because uh, you know who's coming after you, Mary Walsh. I mean, this is just a loaded oh, morning God, here. I'm flattered. There, oh, there you go. Morning. You had the premier before you, and you had Mary Walsh after you. Um, wow. In your in in your capacity as co-chair, you've had that question a million times, got to ask it too. Does Mr. Charest still, with two weeks to go, have a path to victory? He does have a path to victory, putting on that hat for a moment. Um, it, yes, he does. Uh, it is really a question of getting out the vote. And that's what all the campaigns, including ours, are doing, is on the ground getting people to send in those ballots. Because they have to go. They have to be checked. Uh, they have to be checked. There's, you know, a process. There's uh, Deloitte is involved. Like, there's all sorts of, like, steps and things to verify ID and all the stuff to make sure that people are actually voting and voting properly. And there's people are having parties. We're doing the same thing. Get together, you know, so people can fill out their ballots properly that's the key so yes we get our vote um, then the path to victory is there uh, if we don't then it's on us and you know that that will not happen but that is the big challenge right now so that's why you're seeing a lot of the candidates are kind of going to ground so to speak um, and uh, doing that sort of connecting with people making sure that those ballots get to get filled out now, uh, to conclude the mission, you got to tell people where they can get the book, Tasha. I mean, if I didn't ask you where you could buy the book, it would be a massive failure on my part. So where can people in Newfoundland and Labrador get the book? Okay, so in two ways, you can go to your local chapters, Indigo, and our independent bookseller as well. And you can also go online to the right path book. Dot com And there's different options. There's Amazon. There's OP Books. Uh, but if you go to the therightpathbook.com, you can see all the different links to order the book. So there you go. All right. Good uh, Good to talk to you. Good luck uh, with the sales. And we'll be uh, watching both the book climb the bestseller list and, uh, and see how the leadership race turns out on September 10th. Thank you, Tasha. Thank you so much, Tim. Have a great day. All right. That was Tasha Carradine, author of The Right Path, co-chair of the Jean Charest Leadership Campaign. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. And I do believe Mary Walsh is coming up. And, but listen, we'll have all the mere mortals on. I'm one of them after Mary. Good. Uh, back with you shortly here on VOCM's Open Line. Well, I know I'm going to get help now. So the last time I saw Mary Walsh, and she may remember this, we did the classic Newfoundland thing. We were both in Arizona. It was over Christmas before COVID a while ago. And we did that Newfoundland thing. We looked at each other and said almost simultaneously, what are you doing here? Anyway, Mary Walsh, are you there? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Remember, we were in Arizona. God, I don't know. It's like 2015 or 2016 or something yeah. like that, Mary. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? Oh, my God. But um, great interview with the Premier, by the way. Uh, I was listening to it on the line. And uh, I, uh, 
I'm, I'm, you know, it was a, it really instructive, I guess. My first thought was <laughs> we haven't really traditionally done that well when we've with... done deals with the Germans, have we? I mean, I sort of remember, <laughs> you know, Val Manis and that guy who took off for Panama and all the different things. And so, of course, it's nerve-wracking. So I guess... Who knows? I mean, this may be fabulous. Who knows? Right, right? As long as you didn't cite Neville Chamberlain, then we'd be really stepping back, and that deal didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't thinking about Neville and Winston and them. I was thinking a little closer with, you know, the Alfred and all his and, industrialization yeah. plans and all the Germans who came in to run the fabulous chocolate factories and the rubber tire factories and the hockey stick factories and all the, all the factories that, in fact— didn't exist for very long. <laughs> no, they were flashes, flashes in the pan. You're right. I, yes. Alfred Valdmanis, not a name I expected to hear this morning. Well played. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he was the savior and saved nobody but perhaps his own bank book. Yes, yes, really. And so we have to be careful, of course. But uh, anyway, I keep our fingers crossed and our toes and our eyes and everything we can cross and uh, and hope it all works out for the best. I'm um, I'm going to do a show tomorrow night in Perchance in Cupid's. Okay. And and uh, at 7 o'clock, and it's about come home year, but it's about our first come home year back in 1966 when we invited all the Newfoundlanders mm -hmm. to come back to see the new Newfoundland. We were burning our boats. <laughs> We'd finished the drive in 65. The highway was finished, and everybody is coming home, and the heroine of my little stage greeting is uh, going home, coming home, but she doesn't want to. She's coming home to her parents, who she's never lived with since she was eight months old, and she's being sent back in disgrace. And it's kind of look at what home means and, okay. you know, yeah. And, Mary, I've heard so much good about that Perchance Theater. Is that also one of the appeals for you of doing it there? It, it just has such a, a, an incredible reputation. Oh, I love them. They are so fabulous. And, you know, Shakespeare, that le which really had left me cold, you know, mm -hmm. both in reading it in school and, and seeing it, you know, at Stratford in Ontario and also at Stratford in, uh, in Stratford uh, in England. And, and really, you know, but they, the, the plays I've seen there that Danielle has directed and other people too, I, I've understood Shakespeare for the first time. And it, it's really quite good. I and that's why I guess he's lasted. But before then, I don't know. It just opened up a door for me, and I love it. And and uh, you know, I brought my brother, who never goes to the theater or anything. We saw Richard the Third, and oh wow, uh, yeah, we all really, really got a lot out of it. And you always get. It's it's just great. It's great. Yeah. I uh, I lived in London and lived next to the old Glo the new Globe Theater, and it was always incredible to go. And uh, like you, always had a a passing sort of engagement with Shakespeare. But to see something there and to see it in that environment, albeit reconstructed, uh, was incredible. Now, how can people get? Uh, are there still seats available for your show? How long is it running? It's about an hour, I think, and it's a staged okay. reading, so mostly okay. it's just me doing all the characters. It's the beginning of a one-woman play that I'm hoping that I'm going to have animation for, you know, so there will be visuals, and, and we have a soundscape and stuff, and it starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And then also I'm playing on August the 27th in Gander at the J.R. Smallwood. Just mentioned <laughs> Smallwood twice in one interview. I know. Uh, 
and, and the, the 28th at, in Grand Falls at Gordon, the Gordon Pinsent Theater, and the 29th in Cornbrook at the Arts and Culture Center, okay. and the 30th in Stephenville. And you can get tickets. Gee whiz, um, I, I, we were supposed to, you know, play at the um, at, out, up in Gross Morn at the Cowhead uh, Theater yeah, the up festival. there, and yeah. also at um, the Woody Woody Point Writers Festival. But we had to cancel because one of our team came down with COVID. So, so tomorrow night is our first ever performance at Perchance in Cupid's. That that's fantastic, and we'll uh, we'll we'll put up a link to where people can get tickets to the other shows. Now, before I let you go, I gotta get your take on this. If Marg Delahunty were still around, and you were doing the political satire that you did oh so well, and I know no doubt do for entertainment for for friends and family now, how would Pierre Polyev be roasted? Oh, little pee pee. <laughs> <laughs> He's the face and eyes. He looks exactly like, uh, you know, uh, where's Waldo, doesn't he? All he needs is a little tap. But unfortunately, nobody would be looking for little pee-pee if he was in that game. Oh, my God. I mean, really? Oh, Canada, and, and Canada's in a go. strange place, as, as as you know, at the, at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well. Good to talk to you today, uh, and good luck with that, with, with the, the show in Perchance and around the rest of the province. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Mary. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, that was Mary Walsh. Goody Hutchings, you're coming up next after the break here on VOCM Open Line. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back to Open Line. It is flying here this morning. And, geez, there must be a big day in the province. I have politicians, and I like them all, falling all over each other to get on today. And we're glad to have them. The next one, the Minister of Rural Economic Development, the MP for the Long Range Mountains, Goody Hutchings. Goody, how are you? Hi, Tim. How are you? Great to hear your voice, my friend. Yeah, good, good, uh, good, uh, good to hear you too. I talked to the premier earlier. I mean, this is—I, uh, we'll see what comes with the announcement and how it progresses. But it's pretty historic because, as he and I figured, and you might know as well, we've never had a German chancellor come to Newfoundland and Labrador. We haven't, Tim, and this is such an historic day for Newfoundland and Labrador, for Canada as well, but especially here in the Long Range Mountains and for Stephenville. And, you know, I wish Mary Walsh was here because Mary would add a whole different uh, view on all of this. Uh, Mary, as, as we all know, was just an incredible Newfoundlander and Labradorian. I was disappointed she didn't get to the new uh, nurse Myra Bennett Center, the Performing Arts in Cowhead, and I know I know uh, writers at Woody Point was disappointed that she didn't make it, but she's such an advocate for our province. And she she would have been jumping up and down for joy. There are so many opportunities in Newfoundland and Labrador, and clean hydrogen, clean energy is one of them. You know, as I travel about the province, Tim, I you know I come across fishers who say, "Oh my golly, you know the change in the water tempers, the change in the storms and the seas. Look what we just went through in forest fires in Newfoundland and Labrador. That was bloody frightening, you know." Yeah. And Talk to the coastal communities with, you know, the surging storms and the rising seawaters. Climate change is real, and we've got to get a handle on it, right? Tell me, uh, look, I, I, I was struck by, struck, excuse me, by a conversation that Jerry Lynn uh, Mackey had this morning with Tara Manuel, and 
there's lots to celebrate today, and this has the potential to be enormous. I do not dispute that. But there are still people, Goody, and you know them, because you've worked all over the land uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. You've worked with environmentalists in community development. What do you say, and I asked the Premier this, what do you say to people who are concerned about the environmental challenges that will come with putting up large wind turbines, that will come with the production of, of this hydrogen? How do you, and, and your government has, has committed to reducing greenhouse gases uh, significantly, and hydrogen will do that, but it, it has also committed to protecting the land and making sure that it limits degradation. What do you say to the Terras and the others who have these concerns? And that is so such a great question, Tim, and I'm glad you brought it up because, you know what, this is all about balance. And I want to assure everybody that each one of these projects go through a rigorous environmental protocol both federally and provincially. But I know we have treasures in this province. Yes, clean energy is, is going to be exciting, and there are so many opportunities. But, you know, we have our World UNESCO Heritage Sites, and who knows, maybe we have others. But I think we can work hand-in-hand hand together. And, you know, we the, I travel, as you know, I travel just as much as you do on airplanes, and I meet Newfoundlanders and Labradorians and say to me all the time, oh, my golly, goody, I wish I had a good-paying job that I could move home. I've missed my daughter's birthday. You know, I miss my father's you know, retirement. I'd love to go fishing with my kids. And, you know, if you're a pipe fitter in Alberta or if you're a welder, you know, overseas, you can still be a pipe fitter and welder now in a hydrogen project here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador. So I think there's a balance. We talk about healthcare. We talk about roads. We talk about, you know, growing our tax base to look after these things that are so important for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. How do we grow our tax base? By having good paying jobs. I, you hit the nail on the head as you know i'm a passionate fly fisherman i enjoy mm -hmm. i love the outdoors we have a huge footprint land mass in newfoundland and labrador it's behooving to all of us to look after it but i'm confident the two can go hand in hand there is a balance and working together from the very beginning we can address that you know the other concern's been raised this summer and it's about the at, at least the federal government's ability to deliver services well. Now, this is a mega project, and mega projects come with their own challenges, or it's likely to be a mega project. We'll know when all the details come out. But you've you've well heard the challenges with the passport office. You've heard the challenges with air travel. You've heard, you know, there's been a lot this summer, and you and your cabinet colleagues are working on all that. Again, to people who may have Muskrat Falls paranoia and then see the federal government jumping on this and knowing the service complaints that have come out this summer, how do you, how as an average citizen do you evaluate the reality of the words you're speaking and the Prime Minister and the German Chancellor are going to talk about dates and times? I mean, how do you get people to believe that these things will happen, they will come to the fore, and these opportunities will be real? So that's a great question, Tim, and I just want to remind people, you know, we had a few things out of everybody's control, just not our government or our country. You know, we've had a global pandemic that nobody's had a playbook written for nobody saw it coming we've had this terrible russian ukraine conflict you know and my heart goes out to the ukrainians and frankly i also want to welcome those ukrainians that have chosen newfoundland and labrador to be their home there are so many things out of anybody's context which which added to you know the passport and all that issue but listen these companies that are that are are interested in this. They're very impressive, world-class, private companies, and they're looking to make significant investments, significant investments in our communities, and they're going to create good-paying jobs. 
This is what we've got to focus on. This is a partnership. This is not the government doing all this. This is a partnership with incredible, impressive, world-class private companies taking the lead on this. They also see the time factor. There's a race against other countries in getting this, who's going to get the clean hydrogen, you know, delivered to 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 the world, to not only Canadians but the world first. There's a race, and that's why these private investors are in sync with getting this done. Uh, got to ask you a question about your portfolio, unique portfolio that was created. You're an ideal person to run uh, run it. Uh, rural development, given everything we've just discussed, and your your own business history and uh, the the things that you've done, you are living it every day right now. The closure of medical services, not just in urban areas but also in rural areas, the lack of services, the challenges we know now um, so well, the link between a community's ability to service people and the ability of that community to thrive or, or die. Um, as you are doing your work in the rural development area, what are some observations you've come forward with uh, and the challenges that you and the government need to work on to help continue uh, and maintain a rural lifestyle and rural opportunities in Canada? Um, thanks for that. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment, Tim, because, you know, when, when I was asked to take on this role, I was just over the moon because I've lived and breathed and, and grew up in rural all my life. Yeah, I see the challenges, but, man, I see the opportunities. The number one thing for all Canadians is to get affordable, reliable, high-speed connectivity, high-speed Internet. And that's the number one thing in my mandate letter. I'm sure you've read the mandate letters. I don't know if many do, but that's the number one thing because that then puts rural and urban, that, that breaks that divide. Now we're on an equal playing field. When we look at the fact that 30% of the GDP from our country comes from rural, we've only got 20% of the population, look at where the growth opportunities are. Look where the growth opportunities are going to happen for hydrogen. Look where they're going to happen in food security. Look where they're going to happen in, in food security and fishing and, and in forestry for lumber to build back and all this kind of stuff. That's all in rural. Since the pandemic, we are seeing people want to move to rural, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you're, you know, traveling around not only the province, but around the country. It's interesting to see how people are saying, yeah, I want to move to rural. The number one thing is that universal broadband fund where we're committing mm-hmm. to have percent of Canada connected by 2026. Stay tuned because in a few weeks we're going to be announcing where we are with that. And I think Canadians will be delighted to see that, yeah, we are getting that job done. That's the number one thing. That is the key to growth in rural Canada and to take us where we need to go. Yeah, it's funny you say that about I, I've had more conversations about people looking for properties, particularly those who live in Toronto, uh, and the cost of living is so significant there. And the, the, the work, how we work is changing still. And uh, uh, they're they're looking at, at other options. Of course, the challenge we so also have, and you know it because you fly a lot, as you said earlier, is air travel and getting in and out. But I won't ask you that question today. Good. You got enough problems to deal with today. Um, but it is it is a historic day for Newfoundland and Labrador. And let us hope it produces the historic opportunity that uh, that will be talked about thanks for the time today goody always good to talk to you thanks tim reach out anytime take care everyone have a great day all right that was uh, goody hutchings the mp for the long range mountains and the minister uh, federal minister of rural development can take a
break here now, then come back with more of your calls. We've had a lot of leaders and luminaries on. Let's hear from you and what you're thinking about everything you're hearing right now here on VOCM's Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. Good to be with you here. Where am I going now? Oh, right. Okay, sorry. Just so many things happening here this morning. I am, I uh, was going to go to my keynote. No, I'm going, where am I going? Jerry Lynn. Jeez, how could I forget you, Jerry Lynn? Sorry. There you go. I've had so politicians, you know, pundits and and, and writers, but the best right. is now on. You're and you're at the curling club, are you? In Stephenville, what's going on there? That's Excitement right. building. That's right, Tim. There's about I'd say forty or fifty people here on either side of the road. It's the road that takes you right to the airport. I turn to my left and I can see the aircraft on the tarmac there. Um, lots of signage. Uh, it seems like they're throwing shade at Trudeau, and of course. Uh, one of the signs here I'm reading right now says wind turbines not wanted. GH2, mm-hmm. go home. Uh, another here has a, an acronym for Trudeau, treason, rhetoric, unlawful, devil, evil, abusive, unethical. Another one, not in our neighborhood. Destroying green to make green. No mm-hmm. logic. So these are just some of the sentiments here as uh, the group is gathering. The group itself is the Environmental Transparency Committee, Tim, and okay. their grassroots organization. Now, of course, I can pass you along to one of the protesters, if you'd like. Marilyn Rowe is here. She's uh, from Sheaves Cove. Would you would you like to sure. have a chat? Sure. Quick. Right. Sure. Happy to talk yeah. to Marilyn. Good morning, Tim. How are you, sir? I'm good, Marilyn. So uh, tell us your concern with this announcement and, and the project that may be coming. Pardon me? I said tell us your specific concerns about this, uh, this announcement and the project that may be coming and the worry you have for what it might do to the environment. Uh, the the two of the main concerns is this is uh, a project that hasn't happened on land before. These uh, industrial wind turbines are offshore turbines. They're going to be installed on mountains, and our mountains are all ledge underneath. So we're worried about the vibrations, uh, the destruction of the mountains, the green forest. The rare uh, white moose, the rare plants, our water sources, the animals, um, you know, we're worried about our roads. Our roads are already in rough shape. Each mm-hmm. turbine, uh, it takes three trips for each turbine in a tractor trailer, times 164. You know, that's a lot of trips over our road, plus the construction part of it, destroying all that woodland. There's just better areas in Newfoundland to put this besides putting it in forests and mountains. And um, I, I think, you know, like offshore would be a better solution or in a place where there's not a lot of people living. So it doesn't affect us, you know? What do you say? I mean, I spoke to the premier about some of these environmental concerns earlier, and I mentioned it to, to Goody Hutchings. Um, two things they say. One, there will be an environmental study. And secondly, we have to find a balance. On the first point, there will be you know environmental studies of all of this. Um, how are you going to participate in that? And do you believe the environmental study will um, acknowledge what you've talked about and perhaps slow this project, if not stop it? Well, you know, it's great that they're having an environmental impact statement, but the thing is, this project has been moving at lightning speed from day one. Like, we had 18 days from the time we received notice from the environment to have, you know, our comments and concerns into the minister. We had 18 days, and that's not fair. We were supposed to have 35 days. 
so the thing is, you know, it's moving at lightning speed. The people, a lot of people still aren't aware of this massive project. And if the, the environmental impact statement is going to go as fast as, you know, the first part of the project, then we, we would have to say it, it's, it's not going to be done properly because the, the, the rush and the, the fact that these people are all friends. Andrew Fury, uh, John Risley, you know, they're all friends. They're all BFFs. So are they going to be cutting corners for each other? Are they, is, is, the, is the company doing the environmental uh, assessment going to be cutting and pasting like they did in a lot of other, uh, you know, companies? I mean, we know it exists. So, like, what is going to be done? What, is it going to be fair to the people? That's my issue right now. We're going to be watching every step of it along the way, and we're going to be, you know, raising our concerns. But I just hope that this is, this is done in a legal and fair manner. And so far, that has not happened. Okay. And how many people do you expect to turn up today uh, for the uh, for the announcement uh, show concern? I think Jerry Lynn said you have about 50 there, Marilyn. Are you expecting a bigger crowd as well? Yes, people are still showing up, uh, you know, as we were talking. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll get at least 100 or more, right? Okay, perfect. Good to talk to you. Jerry Lynn's there. Can you pass me back to her, please? Absolutely. It's a pleasure talking to you, sir. Thank you. You're have welcome. Okay, okay, buddy. Bye. There you go. That's one of the voices, Tim, from a group that's gathered here at the Caribou Curling Club in Stephenville. All right. Well, we know you'll be on air all day, Jerry Lynn, giving us the story. Appreciate uh, the insight. Enjoy your time on the West Coast. It's a historic day for many uh, for many purposes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was Jerry Lynn Mackey in Stephenville, and you will hear Jerry Lynn throughout the day. Uh, important update there on some of the people protesting the concerns they have about uh, today's announcement and what it may mean to the environment. Now we're going to go to line one and talk to uh, Mike Keogh, also about green hydrogen. Mike, how are you? Hey, Tim. Nice to, nice to hear you on, on again, filling in there. Always do a hey. great job. Always love listening to you. Oh, Did thank you. Come? By the way, I saw it. Now, did I see on Twitter, was your birthday not that long ago? Yeah, that's that's right, 73 big ones. Oh, well, you're only a kid, Mike. That's only <laughs> yeah, young. Right. Happy belated birthday. Days, thank you very much. Days I don't feel like it. Tim, uh, I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to call in with this. Sure. Uh, the people in, in the Steve Miller, Port of Port area, Steve Mill, all that area, be very careful because there's a bandwagon coming through town. <laughs> <laughs> and don't get in the way. You're going to get run over by it. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm amazed somewhat at the speed, but I shouldn't be surprised but i'm amazed at the speed of it and it, it connotes that the fix is in you know that it's going to go to friends of uh, of the premier and well connected with deep pockets and uh, there's nothing new here that, that that's been happening for decades in newfoundland labrador uh, i guess what concerns me is the speed that it's going through mm -hmm. and don't worry you know don't worry be happy we'll look after it but i, I don't want to prejudge it i'd love to see that project out there but i'd like to fully understand what the uh, economics of it are and uh, long-term economics mid long term and the environment like everybody else would you know are those uh, massive wind turbines out there a couple hundred of them i think what what, what kind of impact they're going to have on fishing what kind of impact they're going to have on all kinds of other things but what i, I want to can i ask you a question on that because i, I you you um, you have oft articulated the balance argument and and again the politicians are making the balance argument today so what 
what would balance look like in this case? Is it a proper comprehensive environmental review, which still may find the project goes ahead? Uh, and and then, of course, governance measures that make sure they adhere to whatever is found. What does balance look like here, Mike? Because, you know, the, 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 we are all wanting to lessen our dependency on, on oil and, and other things over time. So what does balance look like, particularly as it relates to this project? Well, uh, it's not as much as what it looks like. It's, it's more that we don't know what it looks like. And uh, I mentioned the bandwagon. Well, that bandwagon is in front of the horse. <laughs> Ordinarily, before we make these deals, we would have, you know, the uh, environmental issues all sort of studied. And, and so whenever somebody raises what could be a valid point or maybe not a valid point, we would have answers. But those answers are not there. So I don't know. I'd like to know what those facts are and to balance it out that way yeah there, there's going to be difficulties when you put up a project like this there's no doubt about it whatsoever there are going to be environmental considerations but we do have to balance it against what we're going to get in return so we just can't have something black and white i just like to know and tim i don't feel i do know and i okay. i think it's sort of getting the bombs rush you know it's coming right through and that leaves me suspect that uh, at 73 years old i spoke about i've seen this happen many times in other projects tim if i may i'd like to jump to uh, sure, go ahead. what won't be a very popular topic, but I think nonetheless, particularly since uh, the, uh, the Minister Goody was on there a few moments mm -hmm. ago, and the Premier. Uh, I, while I'm on here, I'm on hold on a seminar that I'm participating in in the Baltic states. Okay. And uh, Estonia is there, and Sweden is there. There's a number of the Baltic states that are there, and they're talking about the problems they're having, the challenges they're having with their uh, seal populations. All right, and okay. uh, they've just completed studies, and they're about to make recommendations on uh, where they're going. With they got big concerns over there about what's going on, um, and things have been raised. Like Sweden, I think it was, uh, have been approved to ship into the uh, European Union uh, seals that are going to be used to create gas. Right, things like that, uh, which really surprised me. But what got me still, and it still gets me these years later, you may know more about this than I do with your time in Ottawa, um, our products, our harp seal products, depending on who you're listening to, 7 to 10 million of them, you can <laughs> see them up in the rivers and, and in, on the town streets and up in the ponds. They're so prolific in what they eat. Um, they're, they're not allowed in there. They're not allowed into the European Union. And the main deriving force for that, Tim, and, and please help me, I mean, you have more knowledge on these, I trust you do, is Germany. Germany hmm. was the directing mind in the EU, in the Economic Union, yep. uh, to get the ban for our harp seal products into Europe. And that pretty well put the nail in the coffin for being able to get it economically viable. Now, you, you, we, yeah, I, I I can't remember specifically, but that sounds on. I mean, certainly there were there were a number of European powers and, and those that had fashion industries as well that or sorry had big yeah. um, environmental movements. And Germany, of course, has a long history with the Green Party. Anyway, go ahead, Mike. Not to uh, yeah, cut so, you off. and and they based it on uh, the ethics of it. That's what they based it on. Yeah. I remember it very well. So they've got it in. Now we have the Chancellor of Germany here in town 
We have our premier there. We have the prime minister there. We have Goody, who has a huge amount of her riding impacted by this ban in in Europe. No, we're not able to produce value. We can't harvest them. Uh, our products like crab and shrimp and, and cod and that are obviously being devastated, even though scientists said that, that seals don't eat fish. And I'm wondering... Has, you know, somebody said, Chancellor, let, let's have a coffee over here. Let's talk about something that we don't seem to be getting to you because government of Canada does not doing this. Global Affairs is obviously not doing this. And some of these people in the seminar this morning are connected to the issues over there. They're not raising it. Why would we not sit down and say, we'd be delighted to, you know, get support Germany and energy, its energy needs now, what's going on in Russia. But we need a favor. We need you to leave, lead yeah. something for us. And I'd, and if they haven't done it, I'd encourage them because I know their staff monitors your program. There's not many that mm-hmm. don't. I know they are. I, I wonder if somebody would, you know, I know it would make them change the cheeks or the butt. And they, oh, my God, here he is. We're talking about that again. This is this is rural Newfoundland and Labrador. This is coastal Newfoundland and Labrador. It's harvesters. It's people that live on the land. It's, you know, it's not just in the areas where these are going to woodmills may or may not go. It's all of our okay. problem. It's a huge part of our industry, fishing industry. And no, no. talking about it. Uh, well, you've raised it today. As you say, people are watching it. I doubt Justin Trudeau will be asking the German chancellor about <laughs> seals, but may, may, maybe uh, uh, others will. Um, i got to leave it there, Mike, because we've got to go uh, to news. Appreciate the call, and we'll see maybe a reporter on the ground will ask. There will be a few there, to be sure. I hope. Thank you, Tim. All right. Thanks, Enjoy Mike. Uh, time for a break here on VOCM. Coming up, the VOCM Open News. Uh, open News. VOCM News, then more of Open Line. Back with you shortly. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. This may be the fastest open line I have ever guest hosted, and in large measure, it seems, is being driven by what is happening in Stephenville. As I said, politicians falling all over each other to call, and they're most welcome to do so. And we do have one on the line now, uh, well-known to the listeners, uh, a friend of mine personally, just to disclose that, but that doesn't mean we can't have a tough conversation, and that is uh, the Minister of Labor and the uh, MP for St. John's South, Seamus O'Regan. Seamus, how are you? Toughest conversations I've ever had in my life. With oh, friends. God, okay. Uh, with family, Tim, come on. Uh, Look, yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I know your listeners are probably saying, God almighty, another politician. But um, but today is a big day. And for you know some of us, we've been work, working long and hard to make a day like today happen. And uh, and I, I want people to realize that. So, you know, I wanted to call in because this, this is a really, really important day. It is a new chapter, I believe, um, in in this province's economic development. Uh, we have our history has been marked by energy projects of one form or another. It dominates our politics. Uh, this is a really important day. Um, you know, hydrogen is going to be, a, it is a fuel of the future, and it is importantly becoming increasingly a fuel of the present. And we got to get ready for it. And the fact that one of the economic powerhouses of the world has specifically chosen not just Canada, but our province as a primary source of hydrogen is huge. It's the customer coming to us and saying, we want you. 
that's big big this is this is you know economically mm-hmm. this is so competitive all over the world uh people are trying to figure out how to make this happen it's gonna you know we're this is first mover so you know it's it's pioneering stuff but it's important and it's happening here so it's a big day so that's why i'm calling in yeah I, I, and and get the big day in some ways it's reminding me of when you and i were much younger men of the the day the first hibernia announcement was done in the in the late 80s yeah. or early 90s it, it has that air about me, it let me interject there tim because we didn't know what the heck we were doing back then you know it was it was we were we we knew we had this project we were developing it john crosby brian peckford bill marshall a lot of you know dove in and and we weren't sure what we were doing uh later on during first oil i was writing speeches for brian tobin you know it was it was it was a new chapter for this province and and look what happened i mean i keep saying every time i get on a plane i'm sitting next to somebody a young fella who's traveling to Mongolia or Mozambique to show them how it's done, how you extract oil from some of the most difficult places in the world. And, and so, Seamus, just, just is, on that point, that uh, sorry, sorry, I, I didn't mean to, to, to cut you off, but as you say, we can, I, I can't cut you off, and we're going to have civil dialogue. And on that, um, how can we have the hope, let's call it that, that this project will be more like what Hibernia and subsequent oil fields have given us than, say, the challenges that Muskrat Falls and the costs that Muskrat Falls have brought to the province? Well, look, there's, you know, right, well, the projects that we're looking at right now that we're talking about today and that the German chancellor is in for do not require public money. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, this is a private sector investment. So that's, that's a big difference. You know, will there be some public uh, involvement at some, I don't know. Um, but right now, that's not what's on the cards. Uh, you know, there, there are a whole host of mechanisms that we have put in place that would incent this sort of production, namely a price on pollution, which I know gets you know some grief from some some people, but it incents this sort of energy project because it makes it it makes it competitive. Suddenly, you know these projects become more competitive. Green hydrogen, hydrogen, you know, is 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 a fuel that has been around for a long time, but we're just trying to figure out how do we get it without there being any further emissions. We we produce a lot of not a lot, but some hydrogen out west. And when I was Minister of Natural Resources, we worked long and hard on a hydrogen plan for Canada, looking at the strengths and weaknesses of the different regions. Um, natural gas is a, is a way that we can power the electrolysis that separates hydrogen from a water molecule. That's basically what you're doing. That's the chemistry that's involved. How you power that electrolysis to separate the hydrogen molecule is the difficult bit, right? Because how do you do it on a mass scale without producing more emissions? The Germans are premier customers. They know their customers, their ratepayers, who will pay a premium if they can say, you know what, this is a hydrogen that's produced by renewable energy sources like wind power. They'll pay more, they'll pay more for that. But, you know, we have learned long and hard lessons about, and, and trust me, we're almost ahead of the curve on this. Mm-hmm. I, I can guarantee you just about every jurisdiction in the world that produces energy or consumes energy is trying to figure out how to do that without making the ratepayers suffer. This is common language for us, right? We've been 10 years, 15 years with our politics being dominated by rate mitigation, and I'm proud of the fact that we were able to figure that out last year with a $5.2 billion deal. That was something we worked on, I worked on for years. 
Now this is something that, you know, we have to have a very clear eye on this. And when, when I work on just transition for, for energy workers, something that the prime minister tasked me with when I became labor minister, trust me, I think, a, you know, we have to talk about the reliability of energy. We also have to talk about low emissions. But I would say the third peg on that stool, the third leg, is affordability. That is a lesson we have learned long and hard in this province. So you have to have a clear eye on that. We can't be building stuff on the backs of ratepayers. This province knows that better than almost anybody, and that's a lesson that we have to take with us as we look at expanding uh, renewables and we look at lowering emissions right across the country. Two two questions related to today's announcement that are seemingly emerging this morning. They won't be a surprise to you, but I'll give you the opportunity to respond to them. Sure. And they are they sort of fit the typical suspicion that greets these types of projects. First one is around the environmental review and the environmental impact study. You may have heard Marilyn Steves a few moments ago saying it's gone too fast. It, we really haven't had the opportunity to input uh, on that. Uh, the second one is around proponents and others. The argument that there's a coziness between some of the proponents and government, in this case the provincial government. What do you say to people who worry about both those things and address the substance of both those things. I know. I look. First of all, I know how committed the you know the provincial government and how committed we are to you know transparency of process. So look, let, let's just be honest here, right? I mean, it's we, we are a province of five hundred thousand people, Tim. You know, and I know. We know a lot of people. Everybody seems you know everybody knows everybody, and in certain circles, people know one another. I know a lot of people in the business community. Uh, I know a lot of people in the academic community. I know like. You know, we all know lots, lots of people. If there's an inference of an inside job or something like that, just because you know someone or you were a friend, we wouldn't get anywhere in this province. So, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. I don't like the inference of guilt. Um, you know, like it, it's a bit much. This is a government, I, you know, and a premier I know personally, and I, and I know how committed they are to transparency. And quite frankly, I think the lessons that we have learned on, do, on everybody doing their due diligence, including the media and, 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 you know, others who oversee these things and keep an eye on it, is we, you know, we've learned that from Muskrat Falls. I think there will be a very clear-eyed view on these sorts of things, and there will be due diligence done. But I don't, I don't infer guilt, you know, like, give me a break. You know, uh, people know people. People are friends with people in this province. It's a small province. It's how we work. Um, but you don't infer guilt as a result. Um, and the other thing I would say is uh, there, there is always, when you are the first mover on something, and green hydrogen is something that, you know, it, it, you're quite right to point out Hibernia 25 years ago because I think it's, it's very similar. There will be, you know, perhaps some bumps along the way. But I can guarantee you this is a government that is absolutely committed to the environmental assessment process. Um, you know, I, the, the process will, you know, is, is the, the legislation's in place. We have environmental assessment processes in the provincial and federal level. Where we can work concurrently on things to speed it up doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's any less thorough. In, some, in fact, in some cases, it could be more thorough. And the example I would give for that is when we were able to take the 900 days that you, you, you took in order to have an environmental assessment for an exploratory well offshore, mm-hmm. just an exploratory well. It was 900 days when we took government, right? Uh, we reduced that to 90 days. 
We did that by doing a thorough regional assessment that oversaw the whole basin offshore, right? And that way we could actually see how a whole bunch of different ecosystems worked out. By doing one thorough assessment over the course of one year, we reduced it from 900 to 90 days with more thorough inspection. So trust me, even for the people who believe in environmental assessments as much as our government does, you can always improve and streamline without in any way, shape, or form taking away from the thoroughness of it. In fact, by using some common sense and getting rid of overlap and red tape and doing a few things concurrently, you can actually do a more thorough job. I've got faith in this process. All right. Last question, unrelated to all of this. We often take flack, oh, geez, the liberals are consulting again, consulting again, consulting again. (laughs) You know, so... Well, you know, so we consult. Uh, you know, we're committed to that. That's a process we're committed to to make sure that people do have buy-in and do feel that they have been heard. We often learn a heck of a lot and be, are able to improve the project as a result. Well, I can hear the enthusiasm for today in your voice. It is it is historic, and over time we will see how historic. Um, last question, unrelated to all of this, uh, and I hope not to cause you discomfort on it, but I will ask it anyway. You can tell me if you're not comfortable. Uh, you saw what happened to your former colleague last week, Lisa Laflemme, the controversy that's played out what's your what's your take on all of that having come from that world it's a hard business you know it really is um uh lisa is one of the most you know exemplary reporters uh i have ever come across utterly committed to her craft utterly committed to it um and you know it came through on her newscast every night uh, it's a newscast i watched it's a newscast i worked on and, and i know you know from having worked with her behind the scenes um how she commi- how committed she was uh you know i don't want yeah i don't want to comment on it because i just don't know what the to and fro is or any of that mm-hmm. but i know that it's a really really tough business and uh this is not the way um that uh you know she should be leaving her career at CTV, uh, you know, in my mind. I think that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain dignity that she should be afforded. I don't know what happened, so, you know, I, I really mm-hmm. can't Fair comment, but I think this is really unfortunate. Um, you know, the, the last thing I would say to Tim, just back to the German deal, um, this is going to put Newfoundland and Labrador on the global map. I have often said, you know, you look at a map of Canada and people to see us on the margins, right? But you look at us in the map of the world, we are in the dead center of the G7. Our proximity to Europe is a massive asset. Our deep water ports are a massive asset. And the Germans see us for what we are, which is a, an extremely reliable and competitive partner in getting them uh, over the brink on new energy. Uh, uh, in, in light of what's happened in Ukraine. You know, things, it, it, that's an unfortunate, you know, incentive what's happening in Ukraine. But trust me, those advantages that yep. we have had for a long time, we are so close to Europe um, and we have so, we are blessed with so many natural resources. I'm telling you, this is a big, big day for us. Big day. Okay. Got to leave it there. Uh, thanks for your input. Uh, good to talk to you. Good luck today. Uh, the whole province, country in the world will be watching. Thanks, Seamus. Thanks, man. All right, that was Seamus O'Regan, the Minister of Labor and the MP for St. John's South. Tom Davids, if you're still on the line, you are next after the break here on VOCM Open Line. So listen, there's a little bit of complaining on Twitter about how many, too many politicians, all that. I've already acknowledged that. It's a day people want to call and talk. You can call too. Uh, and guess what? The show runs all week and runs every day, but Saturday and Sunday. So there'll be lots of time for everybody to call. And Tom Davis is going to speak to us now. Tom is a normal citizen. He doesn't have an on or a PC or MP or an MHA after his name, so Tom can get on. You can, too. Tom, how are you this morning? Doing great, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, What is your take on things as they're playing out today? I assume you want to talk about Stephenville, or is there uh, something else you'd like to talk about? 
Well, um, that was my main reason for calling, but okay. I, I do think it's it's incredible that we're moving quickly in the direction of hydrogen and. and and in the bigger scheme of things, the really amazing thing with hydrogen is that can also power the boats that would bring hydrogen or the ammonia, which is probably the way they're going to transport most of it mm-hmm. longer distance. They're, they'll be able to power the same ships. So, again, the carbon footprint of transporting it will go down. And then the flip side of constructing, which hopefully will get into constructing these wind turbines, uh, you know, we can use that same hydrogen and or the wind power to also reduce the uh, carbon footprint of the turbine. So, so you know, as you connect it, it's a glimpse into the future of the potential and how everything is connected. And, th- and that's what I want to – that's the direction I want to go in. So okay. more than 2,000 years ago, Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher, observed that virtue required not just good mm-hmm. intentions but also practical wisdom enough knowledge to predict with reasonable accuracy the consequences of one's actions. And and so I think that's where it all comes back to us individually looking at our choices. So it's not just it's not just the impulsive decisions we make or the reactive decisions we make or the self-absorbed decisions that we make, which a lot of times as we see these things playing out around us, a lot of it is just us. Maybe maybe we Maybe we have the best of intentions, but maybe we're not willing to take it to the next step, which is realize that for example, if you go out and buy a vehicle that's bigger than you need, and if it's an internal combustion engine vehicle, for example, I mean, in Newfoundland and Labrador, it seems like the vehicle makes the person. It seems like that's how we define ourselves, and that's what success looks like. And uh, and you see it. You see, you know, people here mm-hmm. in their yeah. sports cars, their pickup trucks, or whatever the vehicle of choice is that they have. And I think we need to try and realize that that, that has a long-term consequence. So. So I want to, you know, call on people to look at that, and, and I want to bounce over to a couple of quick things. So right now, the yeah, city, go St. John's, city of St. John's is reviewing whether they're going to add the Truth and Reconciliation Day to the list. And just so everybody knows, in the city of St. John's, they have 15, the equivalent to 15 days. Um, is it really 15, Tom? They wow. do. They actually have 14 full days, and then they have half a day on Christmas and half a day on New Year's. So that would take him to 16 days and remind everybody that. And that's not to take away. I know you're not taking away from the importance of National Reconciliation Day, but I mean, like Orangeman's Day. I talked about this before. Why is that still there? Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and you know, now we have the, the June holiday, and and you know, I that I mean, normal Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are entitled to six. So when you when you overlay that on top of of the situation we're in, when the, whether it's a healthcare crisis, um, you know, during COVID, the taxpayers who pay the bills, many of them you know, experience lower income, the inability to keep making their pension payments. They accepted reduced health care, reduced education, and in many cases a shortened lifespan and and increased pain and suffering. On the other hand, our employees, our public servants, their pay, regardless of what, whether they worked 110%, which some did, 70%, 50% or not at all, they got paid. Their pensions were maintained. They still had all their paid holidays. And in many cases, even in healthcare, during the last two summers, three summers, they went to summer hours. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 they even added another paid holiday during that time period. And many, most, pretty well all, received pay increases. Now, in their healthcare emergency now, the process continues. People are are entitled to retire early, some in their early fifties, mid fifties. And, and, and the consequences of, of those decisions, because they can, because they can, has an impact on everyone. And, 
and just, you know, we look at QP and Mount Pearl right now. They're saying they're, they can't accept different benefits for new hires. They can't accept language that weakens their collective agreements. And politicians who make these decisions are held over the barrel by the very powerful organized labor. And it's not no offense to all our amazing employees, friends, family of mine. And, and that is not the issue. The, the issue is, is that somehow we've become disconnected from the fact that bills have to be paid. And and everything has to balance. Like sooner or later, everything has to balance. And and when you look at who pays the bills, and you look at the, where we're going, where we're heading, and you know, it's one thing to say, well, we're running extra deficit stuff like that. But now, emergency rooms are closed. Like I I hear these mayors, they're an hour and a half from. I mean, just imagine, and it's and an aging population in these remote communities. Now, whether some of those communities should 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 be trying to move closer to centers, that's a different discussion, mm-hmm. but definitely one that needs to be had. But, I mean, it's terrifying to me to contemplate friends and family who, I mean, that hour, an hour and a half is a long time when you're having a heart attack or when you've cut off your, you know, your hand or you have a concussion or, your, you know, whatever, whatever crisis you're going through. And, and the most organized people in the entire province, the ones with the most power, are the ones who are profiting from the situation who and who... I know they want to be part of the solution, but when people make enough money, um, then they don't want to work more. It doesn't matter how much you pay them. I mean, people want. I mean, a lot of times people say, "Well, pay me more, I'll work more." But, but that's actually but yeah, that doesn't but, always work. Yes, exactly. And, and, yeah, and it's not working in the healthcare for sure because I mean, Tom, just time, about thirty yeah. seconds. Got to go to break, so I'll give you thirty to close. Yeah, there. okay. So you know, I just, I just, I mean, and this pay equity legislation, which I think is important. It also has to be balanced. If we're going to look in our public service and say, hey, there are certain fields that are not being paid enough, well, we have to look at the fields that potentially are getting paid too much and balance it out. Everything has to be a zero-sum game, and it has to be a negative game. We have to reduce our spending. Everyone stay safe. Take care. Okay. Good to talk to you, Tom. Thank you. Take care. Take care. All right. Time for a break and a quick newscast here on VOCM. I think we've got four or five calls lined up after that. Be back with you shortly here on Open Line. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. All right. Let's see if we get all four of these callers in. So I'd ask each of them to be as succinct as they can, uh, but we'll give you time, too, because that's important. So I'll shut up and bring on Colin. Colin, always good to chat with you. You want to talk about nuclear power plant in Ukraine. What's on the go? Yeah, it's uh, the Russians are incessantly shelling the nuclear power plant. They're the largest in Europe, by the way, with uh, heavy artillery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like a, a nuclear nightmare that's... Uh, we're being slow walked through a nuclear nightmare here that that's, looks like it's going to be inevitable unless some really hard choices are made here by the Russians and the Ukrainians, you know. Yeah, the, 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 you're right. This shelling has been happening for a while. Is there any, I mean, where are the allies on all of this now? Because it seems to have gotten quiet at the moment. No doubt the, the German chancellor and the prime minister will be talking about it while they're here. But uh, w- w- what do we know about how the allies are viewing this and if they're changing their plans for, and I, of course, by allies using a data term, but I think people know what I mean, NATO and, and the other powers that are lending support to, to the Ukraine. Where, where, where does that that the Russian actions stand with them? Well, you know, according to reports in the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, today and uh, yesterday, uh, Russia is adamant that it it's, uh, has no interest in setting up a, a demilitarized zone around the Zaporizhia 
a nuclear facility. And it, uh, despite uh, pleas from the United Nations to do so, and uh, Putin has said that uh, he has given, uh, you know, his troops, the Russian troops, have given their assurance that there will be no nuclear uh, incidents occurring at that plant. I, I find that uh, charitable. <laughs> yeah, that's really comforting, isn't it? Continuing that they're that they're shelling the the facility with the heavy artillery, right? You know, uh, uh, any like, sense? Like any sense? Sorry, I was going to ask you because again, you watch this. Any sense that the the um, the Brits are about to elect a new conservative leader, likely Liz Truss? She will be the uh, new prime minister. She was the foreign affairs minister. Is that Johnson was heavily the current prime minister? Done on September sixth. Currently, very very supportive of the Ukraine. Is any of that dynamic going to impact all of this or not? I don't think. I, I hate to be a you know a pessimist. I'm usually optimistic by nature. Yes. But uh, you're dealing with a man in the Kremlin who's uh, he's out of his mind, for lack of a better word or phrase. And, uh, you know, the United Nations, the International Atomic Energy Agency, they're all uh, trying to convince Putin to uh, stop this madness that's going on in the, in, the, in the country itself. But specifically now with, with, uh, with this incessant shelling of uh, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And uh, their, their previous takeover of Chernobyl, uh, Russian tanks and artillery went in there. Uh, they dug up, uh, they dug trenches uh, in the exclusion zone around to Chernobyl, which is heavily uh, radioactive and will be for uh, hundreds or if not thousands of years to come. They tracked all that dirt uh, out of the exclusion zone. It's just, it's just a nightmare. And uh, this is the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. It has six reactors. It uh, carries about uh, six... I think it's six uh, megawatts of, uh, of electricity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Putin, Putin is trying to uh, disconnect that uh, Ukraine from that power grid now, from the uh, Zaporizhia power grid, and, and send that electricity to Russia. And in order to do that, in order to do that switchover, they would have to uh, uh, circumvent a lot of the uh, safety procedures at that plant and, and have to go to back up diesel generators while they're doing the switchover, which is apparently very, very dangerous. You know? All right. Well, yeah, it's, we can't forget about the Ukraine uh, and all that is happening there. That war has not uh, really abated in any way, shape or form. But uh, we seem to be focused now on public health care and everything here. And that's all important. But uh, it's still a very destabilized world over there. All right, Colin, got to let you go. Got to get a few more calls in. Always appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, that was Colin talking about what's going on in the Ukraine. Keep an eye on it. Uh, hopefully the Prime Minister, German Chancellor, gets some questions about that today. Uh, now, Paul Din, MHA, Topsail Paradise, uh, opposition critic or shadow minister for Health and Community Services. Paul, how are you? Doing well, Tim. Uh, excuse me. I, I'm sure your listeners, listeners are probably upset another politician. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to hear about it, but that's, you know what, Paul, you're human beings too, so I'll, I'll give you the, the give you the give you the benefit of the doubt you want to talk about Os, uh, minister osborne not being at the meeting with premier ford and the other the three other atlantic premiers well, yesterday is that right well you talk about you know being <laughs> we're all people and in in this role i mean it's it's been you know it's, it's terribly wearing on you when you're uh, you're hearing the calls on a daily basis mm-hmm. on the situations that the individuals are in and and our health care you know <laughs> 
emergency rooms shutting down and health professionals being overworked. And, you know, you, you do the list of the health, uh, emergency rooms like Bond Bay and Bay Verde, yep. Lawrenceburg. You can go on. And it's it's just it's just terrible. I don't know how the frontline workers do it uh, because I just find it wearing on me when when I get these calls. So re- really, really disappointed when I... Uh, I hear that uh, the Maritime Premiers and Doug Ford uh, met yesterday to uh, talk about health care issues for Canada and, and, and uh, you know, the country as a whole, really. And to hear that nobody, our Premier wasn't there, uh, and, you know, depending on what his priorities were, uh, he could have sent the Deputy Premier. Mm-hmm. He could have sent the Minister of Health. But we, we've ha- had no one there. And... Uh, you know, I, I just find it troublesome that, that we hear these calls on a daily basis from I- individuals, and this is a crisis situation, and we all agree that we all need to be be at the table and coming up with solutions. And I just think this it's just not good enough. I mean, uh, for 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 our, for our government not to be represented at the table there to to have this talk to to come up with some solutions. You know, we've seen some some solutions, but but you know, the, the premier himself has said they're band-aid solutions. Uh, we we see, I, you know, it's unfortunate. I hear hear people who can't get the long-term care, can't get their treatment. There's people dying. There's people just so anxious to get the treatment they need, and we don't have anyone sitting at the table. Yeah, and again, I don't know what the circumstances were. If there was an an alternative to have somebody there, if that option existed. But I, I hear you on the hearing the the challenges. Look, uh, I know story. My own mother last night had to go to St. Clair's. Was in the hallway. Thankfully, she was treated well. Everybody was excellent. But it's just slow. It's tough. It's heartbreaking. She had support there. Worked out fine for her. But it's uh, yeah. Our, our system is is broken and a quick question on this for you paul and appreciating i got to get two yeah. more calls in but you know where are you on what came out of the meeting um that there's more federal funding necessary stable funding and that we should be looking and this is a wide area yeah. could be a wide area private service delivery what what's your quick take on those two well, note items. Well, on the funding funding situation, I mean, uh, you can throw as much money you want at stuff. There's no doubt about it. My, my concern there is that the uh, the uh, formula for calculating, uh, you know, the health grant to the provinces is based on per capita. So I think there needs to be uh, addressed the situation in terms of the factors and variables that affect each province. I mean, we we are mm-hmm. the oldest population. We have the greatest uh, incidence of uh, critical illnesses, and uh, I think. You know, there has to be a, a, another look at the formula and make sure that it fits each province and, and deals with it. Uh, the other part about it, the other qu- second question was what, Tim? Uh, uh, second question was on the private service delivery. Right. I mean, we have that, right? Like, we, we have it. I don't know why we say we don't have it. We have it. We just don't pay as an individual for that service. Well, we just went through, the government just went through and put out the uh, the health accord. 
you know, the health court implementation plan has been out there for a little while now. Uh, we've yet to hear any of the details on how that plan will be implemented in, in, in terms of health care delivery. It's uh, supposedly have set out a roadmap, and, uh, and you know, the uh, Dr. Belfry and, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Davis, I mean, uh, they've done a wonderful job. But now, now okay, we have it. What are we going to do with it, and how are we going to going to get it to uh, to develop a better healthcare system for the individuals out there? And I'm sure privatization, public uh, access, all that's going to be under that. But we've yet to hear anything, any details okay. moving forward on that. So we'll we'll wait and see on that. But I mean, our healthcare. A lot of people out there. You mentioned your mother. A lot of people out there can't can't do the wait and see. They no, don't have, no. have the time. No, uh, that that is an absolute certainty. All right, gotta leave it there, Paul. Thank you. I think you're the last politician for the day, Paul. So you you know you signed you signed off well for the rest of the group. Well, my shout out is look, uh, this government, the premier, they have to do better. They got to get their priorities straight, and and let's let's look after the people of this province, especially those who need health care. All right, leave it there. Okay. Thanks, Paul. All nice to talk to you. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, when we come back, I'm a little worried about one of these calls. Uh, my friend Paul Toomey, every time he calls, it costs me money. Hmm, we'll see how good he is today. And Barry Darby, Paul and Barry, you're up next after the break here on VOCM Open Line. All right, welcome back. we got about seven and a half minutes. Barry Darby, you're on the line. You want to reply to something Mike Keogh said earlier on green hydrogen. Go, go for it. Yeah, just a, a question more of a question sure uh and the social economic issue the social economic part of it people a lot of people are talking about the environmental and uh, i'll let them do that and there's a lot of concerns there obviously but the plan is to to use wind converge into electricity and make hydrogen from it so we can export it on the world market that's the plan we already have in newfoundland a surplus of electricity from muskrat falls correct my sense is that it's too expensive for it to produce hydrogen for, or if it isn't, why aren't we going to use that electricity first before we start producing more? If you look at the world prices for uh, production of electricity worldwide we're from solar power, from solar farms, especially in the tropics, <clears throat> we're now producing electricity for less than $0.05 cents a kilowatt hour by those means, and you can Google that wherever mm-hmm. you like. So that's who we're going to be competing against on the world market for the sale of hydrogen. If we does that mean that the reason that they're using wind power on the Port Port Peninsula is that they can produce electricity for less than five cents a kilowatt hour? If yeah, they are, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Barry. If I want to approve of it, if it means that instead of them selling to us for five or six cents a kilowatt hour. I've still got to pay 12 or 14 or 15 in order to keep Muskrat Falls alive. So which is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, fair, fair, fair question. Uh, I, I did see, and it's the only, I, I, and I don't know the answer. I would say this, Barry. I did see uh, in the flurry of news that has come out two different stories. I think one was on the CBC and one somewhere in the Globe and Mail questioning the very things you are like how much is this really going to cost and is it economical and will the timelines be met so look i think there's a real fair criticism to be made today that we are at least you know listen listen to the show today we are charging into this and maybe we should be but equally we should be reminding ourselves of hey you know 
get these questions properly answered. Let's before we inflate hope again, let's understand what we're doing here and the costs of it and what are the other costs going to be. I mean, I think we've heard this morning no public money. That's great at least right now, but you know, is this project what's the competition? You you raise another series of questions that are important. Anything else quickly, Barry, you want to add before I, I, I take the last No, call? I just want to stress the 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 socioeconomic part of it because mm-hmm. It looks from what uh, Mr. Risley and his backers are saying, they think they can produce hydrogen economically so that it can be exported. That means that they think they can compete with hydrogen made in Texas or in Saudi Arabia from SunPower, where I know the price is five cents a kilowatt hour or less. Right. Then it, it, a logical conclusion from that is that they're going to be producing electrical power on the Port of Port Peninsula for less than five cents a kilowatt hour in order to be world competitive in hydrogen. Yeah, so why don't and we benefit so, of why? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why first, I want my electricity at five cents a kilowatt hour first. Yep, yep. So Val- that's, that's a yep. political question, but if if uh, Mr. Premier Fury and uh, Mr. Trudeau and so on are going to approve the production of electricity there at five cents a kilowatt hour so that they complete on the world market and leaving the, the citizens of Canada and of Newfoundland in particular uh, not having access to that cheap power, I think that's a, ver- that's a major sociological uh, uh, consideration that has to be addressed. All right. Uh, Thanks for raising it, Barry. And again, uh, we'll see if we can get that question asked and answered uh, today when they're all in Stephenville. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. I have two armed guards standing by my wallet, uh, and they have a big metal chain around it because it's under threat right now. Under threat by this gentleman, Paul Toomey, the executive director of the Eating Disorders Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. Paul, Leave try. it in your wallet. <laughs> you got two minutes. What do you got today? Two minutes, two fundraisers. I don't want your money, but I want everybody else's. How's that sound? <laughs> I don't believe you for a minute, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, bingo, again this week. This is our fourth 14th and second last week uh, tomorrow night jack burn arena 6 p.m gates open 715 for bingo 13 games uh potential for upwards of five thousand dollars in prizes our escalating jackpot is getting close to two thousand dollars and we have a guaranteed fifteen hundred dollar jackpot and we really need people to support these last two weeks it's been it's been a rough year and yeah. we're trying to salvage it with uh with these last two weeks tim so big appeal to everybody to get out enjoy the last couple of weeks of bingo okay and the second one second one is september 15th our golf tournament so if you happen to be around <laughs> take your money Do you in. know i i hate golf i like you but i hate <laughs> golf listen i'm not a golfer myself <laughs> but hey uh, it, it creates a lot of fun for a lot of people and it's a great yeah, event I and i just wanted to make the point that we are accepting individual golfers you don't have to come as a team if you want to come in as an individual contact us and we'll give you the details 
All right. You're good, man. You'll probably still get something anyway. But uh, appreciate the work you do, Paul. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. All right. We are near the end of the show. Got about a minute left. I wanted to say this. Today is a big day in Newfoundland and Labrador. It is historic. But lots of big questions rightly being asked today. You've heard a lot of the politicians, and I hear you. You know, we all see them running towards this. But use this show. Use Patty. Use the VOCM platform over the next number of days to dive deep into what uh, today's announcement means. Is it worth the hoopla? Will it produce the things we're being told it's going to produce? What about the co- the issue Barry just raised? Look, uh, if, if this is going to be a significant project that makes a big difference, not just to Newfoundland and Labrador and to greenhouse gas emissions around the world. Ask those questions, and they will get asked here, and hopefully we'll get you answers here. And you're always welcome to call me, Patty, anybody else who's sitting in. I want to thank uh, everybody today, uh, particularly, as always, Dave Williams. He's awesome. He makes this fly. Great day, great conversation. I'm Tim Powers. That's VOCM's Open Line for today.